Good evening, everybody. Welcome to episode 100. We've done 100 of these. What the hell is wrong with you? We do these on Fridays. You should be out. You should be touching grass. You should not be here. But you are, and a good chunk of you have been here for most of the year. We started doing these, uh, I think it was February of last year. I wasn't sure I was going to go. Uh, I wasn't sure if it was going to last, but we kept doing them, and we'd do them about once a week, twice a week. And uh, it, it's it's kind of been a, a weird ride. This is a format that I am not used to. I don't really think I'm particularly good at it. Um, I enjoy talking to people, so I'm good at I'm I'm good with the gap. Um, but it was kind of a new format to do this live without editing, as I do a podcast. Uh, I was looking today as I was preparing to do this. And so you guys know, for me to do about an hour-long podcast, I do about an average of about 80 to 110 edits, which means stopping and starting, going back, and whatever. And I don't get the luxury to do that here. Now, when I talk to, like, call-in engineers, um, excuse me, there's a few things. Like, one is uh, I can put an MP3 at the beginning of these episodes. So I can put theme music in and I can do that. Um, I have the ability to clean up the transcript uh, so I can edit out annoying callers, which I don't have a lot of. Um, I can edit out portions to, for length, and I can do all of that. I can I can go in and I can tighten these episodes up, and I know that some people who are on call and do that. And I think that really takes away from the live spontaneity of what this is. So I don't ever do that. I, I hit you know record, I hit unmute, I come in and we do this. And I leave everything uh, in it, warts and all, whatever. <laughs> There's a play on an episode title. Um, I, I don't edit out people. I don't edit down comments. I don't put in music. Uh, I just kind of believe in the grip it and rip it thing. And so we've done that, and it's been fairly successful. We are right now the number two, uh, I want to say, show or episode or whatever on Colin. And we've been up there a while. And there are people on here with, I guess that I would say have larger audiences, Greenwald, for example, Taibi, who also have shows on this platform. And so it's kind of really been astounding to me to be uh, up there under Brianna, Brianna Joy Gray, who, um, who in all honesty, I think is, a, is an honest lib. She's a filthy lib, but at least she's an honest lib. And uh, I do follow her on Twitter. I do see her on the Hill with the Rising, but she does this so much that... Uh, she has such an audience that we're never going to top that. Maybe we'll see if we do it tonight. And so I was looking back on a year of episodes. <laughs> and uh, I didn't go back and I listened to any, but I was like, wow, we I did that. Okay, I remember. So a quick thing before uh, I jump into the queue here, because I kind of want tonight to be kind of like the Johnny Carson cast of characters. And I'm already scrolling. I have uh, four in there. Um, everyone, in fact, everyone who's listening tonight, there's right now, there's only 40, you guys should all be in the caller queue. So anyway, but I was, I, I didn't go back and I listened, but I went back and I remembered some of the topics and I was trying to think of, uh, what, what were the most memorable ones? And I have to, I have to start with, as I was scrolling back, the Fetterman episodes were crazy because that was a nice, <laughs> where they kind of wheeled him out on the two-wheeler. And it's the first time we were going to see Fetterman speak. And then he starts with, hi, good night, everybody. And it was just like, oh, fuck, he really is as bad as we thought. And so 
that was one of the nights where I did a spontaneous call-in. And I know people asked to do those. One of one of those was when Tucker Carlson was fired just this week. And I was like, eh, I want to wait and see what this is about. Um, and I do think that this is a format that lends itself to rapid reactions. So when a news event happens, like when the Habibi brothers fly into another fly a plane into another tower, we should jump on call and talk about it. And I think going forward, I'm going to try to be better at that. Um, I think I'm going to try to be better at last minute episodes or whatever. It's just usually you have lives and I have a life of some kind. And it doesn't always play out, but, but the Fetterman debate night was an interesting one because it was just like, holy fuck, what did we just watch? <laughs> and uh, we had a lot of like first time callers and people are like, yeah, that was crazy. Um, so there were a couple of those episodes. Um, the other one, and I've had a few guests on, but we, when we had uh, Noam Blum on was a good one. And he has a show on Colin as well that you should check out. Um, the most memorable one and I and I keep going back to this. It's it's one that I I believe it or not I think about a lot. It was the school shooting. I think it was the Uvalde school shooting, where the shooter entered a side door that was supposed to be locked and it wasn't unlocked. And uh, of course, we all know the tragedy that was Uvalde. Of course, it was the the shooting, but it was of course the cops who decided that their mustaches and their, you know, their, their SWAT attitudes and their grip and their dip and all of this shit did. Knocking the phone down. Um, it was, it, they hung back for hours, but it was, it was the reaction when I think it was Ted Cruz who basically said, we need to make every school in this country, a single entrance school. And that led to ridicule from the, the absolute elitist asshole cool kids table of everyone in media that went from Ben Collins to Tim Miller at the bulwark to, to all of them who ridiculed this idea of a single entrance school. It's like, well, and Tim Miller putting up his like preparatory Academy. <laughs> you know, this was our, this was our, I went to school and he's, he, and he like went through the trouble of pointing out a diagram of all the exits and entrances around my school. Or whatever. And he's like, you should, what about the football field? What if they launch a nuke from the football field? And that was a that to me is still the most standout episode because it's the one that to me utilized what call-in is. And, and you can also say Twitter Spaces. I know Twitter Spaces does this, or Clubhouse, is it gives just you normies, just you people out there uh living your lives with your kids in real lived experience, a chance to be like, you're completely full of shit. And it really was a great episode to me because it, it brings you guys into this. It's not just me rambling and it's not just uh, assholes on Twitter uh, with celebrity blue checks or at the bulwark or NBC news. Uh, that was such an instructive episode where every single person who was in the call queue I just brought them up and it was a simple question. It was like, does your kid's school have a single entrance? And every single caller came up and said, yes, this is how it's done. You drive up, you walk up, you either hit a buzzer or you, you, they bring the kids out through the single entrance of the school. Every other door does not have a handle. You cannot get in the door. And it was so telling to me about why I do this because it was the epitome of, of versus media. And, and there, there was no clever slogan behind versus media. To me, it was just like, 
us and if you want to know why I, you know, make the, the U.S. red as opposed to the black, it's us. It's us versus media. And it was such so illustrative to how out of touch and how snobbish they acted with a, a solution that's already been implemented, where you have members of our media and our D.C. bubble and our D.C. elite going off and saying, you can't make school entrances single entrance, Ted Cruz, are you retarded or whatever? And here you had you guys who were just parents, your listeners, your consumers of news, your consumers of media, and every single one of you um, basically said, no, my kid's school has a single entrance. You guys are all full of shit. It was one of the most instructive things and exercises and episodes that I've, I've ever done, whether it's been writing or podcasting. And that's where I kind of enjoy doing these. I'm not so much high on just doing, hey, next caller, what's on your mind? Um, Things. I I like hearing from people's lived experiences. I like hearing from you saying, no, 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 I know the media is full of shit and this is why. And that was really an episode that proved that. And it's one where I still have people come back to me and say, I've sent this to people who have made fun of this single entrance school shooter thing. And, and it's, it's not so much irrefutable, but when you have 20 callers or even 10 or, you know, whatever, and they all come in and some are from California, some are in Arkansas, some are in West Virginia, some are in Arlington, some are in New York, some are in Connecticut. And every single one of them says, yeah, my kid has a single entrance school. And I've mentioned the fact that, um, you know, as someone who's uh, had experience with that, yeah, you, you hit a buzzer, you go in and it's a door and you can't, and this is a policy that's implemented almost everywhere. And yet here you have these smug fucking dope pricks like Tim Miller or Ben Collins or people at the dispatch or people at Bulwark or people at NBC who are making fun of this idea. And, and these people don't have kids. They don't live suburban lifestyles. They don't live sub or, or urban lifestyles. These are people who are paid to tell you how to think, and they don't know what you believe or what you think. And it really was one of the more instructive episodes. And that to me instantly, as I was going back to just figure out, okay, we're firing off a hundred episodes here. Fireworks, we're going to do this. And it's still the one that sticks out to me. I've been doing this now either through Twitter or my website, National Review, Fox News, uh, appearing on TV, uh, not regularly, I will be on Kennedy on Monday, this coming May 1st, um, or anything like that. But the the single entrance school shooting episode to me is still, it's going to be one of those things I'm going to think back on years from now, because it really, again, to sum it up, was so demonstrative of the disconnect of those people and the supposed audience. It really is one of those cases where the audience knows more and they don't know shit. So that's just kind of me basically looking back. One thing I will note before I jump into the callers tonight is there is a possibility I will be making an emergency vet run. Um, I had like this weird, funny pencil uh, sharpener where the sharpener is the shape of this big metal axe. And then the, uh, the pencil that goes in it was a uh, like the axe handle. So it's this kind of fun gimmicky thing. Well, the pencil rolled onto my floor, and while I was out, one or both of my French bulldogs chewed and ate the contents of the pencil. That includes wood 
that includes graphite. <laughs> um, so I've, I've called the vet, I've consulted with the vet, and they said, I don't think it's anything to worry about um, as far as slivers or graphite pieces or whatever. They think they'll be fine, but I am officially in emergency room vet monitoring mode. So should one of them decide to uh, exhume the contents of their stomach all over my floor, I will most likely have to hang up and make an emergency vet run. And that's how uh, I look at spending my Friday night here. So again, I, I want to say just off the bat, thank you for um, making this interesting, at least. Uh, I, I know some episodes go longer than others. I know some of them aren't great to listen back on. But whenever I do this, whenever I hit unmute and I do this, I'm always just kind of not really knowing what to expect. And I think that that makes me a, a better commentary listener. I think it makes me a better writer. Um, I, I just, I like hearing from people. I'd much rather spend my nights hearing from you than I would from anyone that works in media, including on the political right. And so uh, it, it's been interesting. I've got to know several of you. Um, I generally see your avatars and I know what, it's like, oh, hey, there's Roller Gator right off the bat or whatever. And so um, I wanna say thanks and just doing these kind of live impromptu sessions like I said, it makes me better at what I do, staying connected with just people, people that I write to or people that, you know, read what I write. One of my things that I always think was a problem with conservative media is it became more about talking uh, at people and not so much with them. And so as I kind of grew into this role, I've always kind of swore that I would not ever become that kind of person. Who knows? Um, I've got time to fuck up. So I may become that later, um, but I do believe that one of the biggest problems with conservative media overall is it's just littered. It's absolutely fucking littered uh, with people who think they are better than you, who are smarter than you, and they're more interested in having you listen to them than uh, they are listening to you. And so that's what I enjoy about these formats. That's what I enjoy about these episodes is I kind of enjoy listening to you. And so there we go. Uh, no, I'm not going to start crying, chimp. Um, I could just jettison him out of the room. So that's it. So I want to say welcome. Welcome to the 100th episode, Clown Car Spectacular. And uh, we'll just go until pretty much I have callers. So uh, same ground rules apply. Um, just make sure if you're speaking, you just mute your microphone. Uh, it just makes it easier for the audience. It makes it easier for me to focus. It really is kind of a thing with me on that. Um, I get easily distracted if I'm trying to listen to something. I have background noise. Uh, I just, I zone out. And so uh, just make sure to kind of mute your microphone. Also, be, just be aware of people possibly uh, behind you in the queue. And I know tonight's just kind of going to be a, a night at the bar, sort of speak. Um, but just be mindful that other people are in the queue behind you and might have something to say. And then also, if you have kind of like a fun extended long personal story, I would say, uh, you know, explain that more in comments than on the call just so we can get through people and these episodes are fun to listen back on. So that's it. Doctor, thank you, but I'm going to skip you for a moment. I'm going to bring up Caesar. Twitter and also a guy you should follow on Twitter. Very funny. One of the people that uh, I like to reference when I, when I talk about just kind of, even as someone who's in media, um, most of the time that I'm online or on Twitter, these are the kinds of people that I like conversing with, making jokes with, retweeting. 
uh, with and just trying to give audiences. So, Caesar, thanks for joining. Welcome to the 100th episode. Uh, How's it going, Stephen? Uh, it's good. This week, <laughs> this week is ending better than it started. We'll just, we'll, we'll leave it at that. My, my Monday, my Monday was like the 9-11s of media. Never forget, hashtag. So, uh, I'm relieved to just kind of have this week over with and we're ending on, we're ending on a little bit of a lighter note where we all realize that Kamala Harris is probably going to be pre- Yeah, that's going to be great when that happens. I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> So I don't have any questions or anything to say. I just want to say congratulations on 100 episodes. You and, literally uh, have nothing to say. You always have some like weird, clever quip to say to the point to where I have people DMing me going, why are you retweeting that guy? And okay. now right here you are and you have nothing. Nah, sorry. I'm busy. I got my three kids trying to get them to bed. Well, see, we all make decisions, and you made yours, so now you have to live with them. I did, yeah. You know? I got one waving to you, so. I mean, if if you ever get too far in over your head with three kids, two words, Casey Anthony. It's awful. <laughs> I'm just testing your limits now that you're not on Twitter. <laughs> oh, no, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't mean you. I meant when. All right, man, I appreciate it. You have a good night. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Caesar. It's good to see. Uh, you should follow him on know his exact handle. Put it in comments if you can, Caesar. Um, a good follow, a funny follow, which is to me is the most important thing. People ask me like, um, I think it's funny when someone praises that I retweet them or they're like, oh, I got I got a Red Steez retweet or whatever. And uh, I just simply say the my only requirement for a retweet is you make me laugh. And Caesar does that regularly, so uh, put that in the. Put, he's, he just posted in comments. Um, I just made I just made one of his kids cry and like made a murder kid joke, so that's worth a follow. Doctor. All right, so we go from the guy that you retweet to the guy you probably have on mute. That's a good opening lineup. No, what's fun? What's funny is I never had you on. I never. No, I never have you on mute. Um, you were always, in, until like a few months ago, you were always kind of like floating around. So I always, I, I saw you through mutual follows, through retweets and stuff like that. And then you, you started the Substack and you, and you got ahead of the curve on the whole stochastic terrorism thing. And I'm like, okay, th- this dude knows what he's doing. And so that's, that's where I gave you a follow there. And I definitely don't have you on mute. I think I have you in my Substack recommendations and I... I think I only have like nine of those. I I need to add a couple more, but I've seen Substack recommendations where they have like fifty, <laughs> and it's like no, learn learn the lesson of value. Like oh, he's only recommending ten of them, and and Roller Gator's in there, and you really should go read his posts on stochastic terrorism because they're extremely revealing about where the political left is. One one thing before I let you do this is interesting to me and i i want to talk about this on the podcast probably next week is currently the director of how to blow up a pipeline it's a documentary <laughs> about um a, a guy who's a radical environmentalist it was in, this idea was endorsed by ezra klein um about blowing up pipelines and they've taken the point of view that 
it's preemptive violence. So any violence that you commit against, say, an oil company. So if you actually commit an act of domestic terrorism, you blow up a pipeline, you're actually still on the defense. And the thing that was interesting to me about that is this is where the trans debate is also heading. And it's the justification for the Nashville shooting, where they're basically saying you're you're actually the ones uh, destroying the planet or you're the ones destroying us. So therefore, any violence that is preemptive is justified because you've actually already committed violence. And this is interesting to me because this is where this debate is going. They're framing it as a fundamentally moral question. And this is where, again, Roller Gator's post on stochastic terrorism comes in. But this is a topic that I have primed for a podcast. And then things like Tucker Carlson getting fired just keep getting in the way. Um, but no, I, d- I do not have you muted. I do recommend you follow his Substack. But uh, now I will let you speak. Go ahead. Yeah, so I don't want to take up too much time, but I do want to touch on at least two things that you discussed on the podcast today. And uh, one of them, actually, both of them are kind of uh, very close uh, somewhat to me in many respects. So um, RFK Jr., I'm not endorsing anything that he says. and I don't particularly like him. Some of it is just uh, uh, superficial and I can't listen to him for more than three minutes talk. But um, there, there is a reason I did not play clips of his voice today. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, he has a podcast, and I don't know exactly how many people can tolerate listening to an hour of that, you know, per episode. But you know, that's again all superficial. But I, I'm if, also if not. If you haven't heard RFK Junior speak, it's like he has a permanent case of laryngitis, and it's it's not great. <laughs> like, it's really hard to just even listen to. Yeah. And so this is this is a subject that's very close to me for various reasons. So he's let's pretend that almost everything he says is asinine and and just wrongs medically, scientifically, however you want to describe it. There's going to be some subset of things that he says that are um, at least at least uh, more true than the what what we are normally believing or normally told. Uh, about about uh, you know vaccines or certain medical uh, medical products, and you know uh, Brett Weinstein is a good friend of mine. And at, in in uh, 2021, when these vaccines uh, for COVID were first coming out and being pushed, he was on uh, Tucker Carlson's daily weekend show, whatever it is, the one that's more um, more interview style and and less uh, cable newsy. And also, he, real fast, he, remind yeah. people out there who may or may not know how how did Brett Weinstein come up? How did we get to know who he was? So somewhere, uh, no, in, just for context, yeah, somewhere in the early Trump years, maybe it was 2016. He's a he's a professor of of um, of evolutionary biology in a, at a pseudo experimental state college in in washington state and you know he was a a typical left progressive kind of guy in this pseudo hippie sort of state college uh, as an evolutionary biology professor but he got he got sort of targeted under one of the um first viral woke explosions for lack of a better phrase um that that occurred 
um, in the 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 common uh, zeitgeist. Um, basically, he was against some some equity practices of the college and some of the some of the more activist teachers organized students around uh, around to protest him, calling him a racist, et cetera, to try to squeeze him out of the school. And it unfortunately sort of worked. But um, it, his his story is all over online. You can see, you know, live video because they live streamed half of their activities. So you can see quite a bit of it. It was Evergreen State College. Um, but he uh, he was on Tucker Carlson in 2021 for to talk about these vaccines. And he was concerned primarily with with what he the technology, the M- mRNA, before you get into any weird um you know, discussions about the properties of that. One of the, uh, you know, deliberate and admitted qualities of them was that they only targeted a small subset of the, of the virus. They, they were primed to just target the spike protein. And normally in, in vaccines, you're, you're given uh, an inert version of the virus, which is like the full virus. So your body's able to learn the whole profile of it, the, get the whole sketch. And in this circumstance, it's sort of like we just gave it the clothing that the virus was wearing as the description for the body, right? So we were given the spike protein injections. And so if the virus changes the profile, of the spike protein, now the, the people who were vaccinated don't, uh, don't detect it, they can get infected. So he was on there warning about what he called a leaky vaccine, meaning that as the virus modifies itself slowly, you know, it'll evade the vaccination. And to try to unroll a global distribution where you're pretty much trying to get every single person vaccinated is probably a bad idea when you have that combination because uh, it, it might uh, induce the virus to mutate faster, etc. And he was he was pretty much, uh, you know, blasted as spreading anti-vax misinformation and the the regular rigmarole that we've seen. And, and that's really the environment that gives RFK not necessarily, you know, a a home run hit just, you know, by showing up, but it gives him far more, um, far more room to just be right in a few circumstances in that in face of people who are putting their fingers in their ears and being obstinate to any discussion about any of these things and it effect like it, to to give an idea of how narrow the, the it had to be i wrote i wrote an article in in june of 20 um uh june of 2021 reviewing some of the studies that were coming out of Israel because Israel was sort of like a a Pfizer test bed because they had an exclusive agreement with Pfizer for their vaccine so they had like no Moderna and they vaccinated nearly everybody in Israel and there were a lot of um surveillance studies done just like monitoring all of the citizens because apparently Israel has high high surveillance apparatuses on the medical department and they could they were you know tracking everyone's symptoms tracking everyone's infections etc cetera, etc cetera. and i did a review of some of these large studies and one of the biggest problems that i complained about in june of 2021 was that they were over communicating what the vaccines were capable of protecting against by double counting effects. And so to try to not get too complicated, if you at the time that these vaccines were being given, a lot of people getting them were not getting infected. They were actually, you know, protecting people from infection for a while. 
And when you don't get infected, you also don't get very ill. And when you don't get very ill, you don't go to the hospital. And when you don't go to the hospital, you don't wind up dying. And they were counting all of those things as individual uh, benefits of the vaccine. So the people who weren't getting uh, infected were also you know, being promoted as having not died. And that was part of their campaign to push to, to try to encourage everyone, everyone to get vaccinated. And I simply wrote an article explaining this double counting and warning against that sort of um, um, misleading promise of what they can do, because once the vaccines start to give way and possibly lead to more infections, because now everyone's going out and commingling and, the, the, and you know, they don't, they're leaky vaccines and the virus can mutate. We don't know what happens downstream of that, how bad the, the infections can get for people who have been vaccinated. And we're sort of just setting ourselves up for a bad time. And of course, I got the same sort of treatment of the, the anti-vax. I had articles written about me calling me, a, you know, a misinformation spreader, et cetera. So that type of environment for two years just breeds a situation where RFK doesn't even have to have that many great points to have a wide opening with people because he only has to have a few that really hammer home and, and he'll, he'll get more, especially if they start silencing him like they did the other day, cutting out his um, parts of his uh, interview. Yeah. I, I said on Twitter that the media, it was so, I don't want to say obsessed because that's, that sounds like mean girls. It's stupid, but the media was so high on highlighting the anti-vax right. And that largely came from Fauci. And that largely came from, you know, Fauci just said in the New York Times, you know, God, geez, why, why were state deaths higher in red states? I don't know, geez. And the, so the media promotes this. The media promotes that, you know, Republicans are the ones who are anti-vax and they're all dying and whatever. And one thing I noted when RFK jumped in is I said, the media is not prepared for the anti-vax left because there are a fucking lot of them. <laughs> and I know I, I, I have, I have some in my life that are personal friends that are so they're so far off, like the hippie uh, democratic left wing of progressiveness. You're talking about people who they're, they're like Bernie Sanders voters, for example, but they're, you know, we live in a van and we believe in crystals. They're, they're crazier than Auntie Williamson. And they didn't get vaxxed either. And the media never cared about them. There's two, there's two demographics that the media never cared about when looking at who's getting vaccinated and who not and who isn't. One is that. It's the Hollywood celebrity off the far deep end political left. It's, you know, like I said, the hippies, the van livers. Um, I don't want to sound like, you know, the other Lebowski here, um, but it's those people that, you know, they, they, be, they believe in nature and healing and all of that stuff. They, they're not going to take chemicals because they don't even eat chicken. And um, Bo Adams says that like Woody Harrelson's a perfect example. He said Woody Harrelson is anti Woody Harrelson is a hundred percent perfect example of what I'm talking about. And, that's one demographic. The, the other demographic they ignored was African-Americans, because, of course, we are in a post-George Floyd equity world, and you cannot highlight um, the vaccine hesitation of African-Americans. There is a reason why 
the very first person to receive the uh, COVID vaccine was a black woman healthcare worker in New York, <laughs> whom nobody knows her name, but that's who it was. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why you saw in the Fauci documentary, he's going door to door and then he knocks on like a black guy's door and then he's like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> because that was the guy that everyone passed around in the viral clip on the right who said, like, listen to, listen to what he's saying. And he's like, yeah, I'm not doing vaccination, whatever, da, 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 da. And those are the two demographics our media ignored. Um, obviously, one is the African-American population. And we're not going to touch that because we know. And so our media's like, no, no, no. And that one doesn't concern me either. The one that is interesting to me, and this is the one that you bring up about RFK. And this is why I say I don't think he's going to present a huge problem. I kind I kind of look at I kind of look at him as a uh, an eighth seed versus a first seed in the Stanley Cup playoffs who gets up, you know, who ties the series two to two. It's like mm, should we start worrying? <laughs> and that to me is who RFK is to Biden. And RFK has a celebrity name. I mean, he has an iconic name. He belongs to an iconic family. Um, if he didn't have that name, he'd be easily written off. He would he would be Seymour Hirsch on Substack, and it wouldn't matter. Um, but he also has a celebrity wife. He has Cheryl Hines, who, for those of you who don't know, is Cheryl on Curb Your Enthusiasm. RFK has several celebrity connections in Hollywood. And one of the interesting dynamics to me about the COVID vaccine is you didn't see a ton of of Hollywood celebrity promos telling people to get vaccinated. You didn't see like Matt Damon out there cutting an ad for Fauci or Biden. You didn't see ads of Jim Carrey. You didn't, you didn't see ads of these A-list celebrities. And it's because of those of us who have, you know, tiptoed around Hollywood or dipped our toe in that industry absolutely know how kooky off the range far left those people are. And all I said with Robert Kennedy, and, I, and I'm going to get back to what you, the important point you touched on, is all it takes, all it takes is like one, like similar to what Bo Adams just said, it just takes one Woody Harrelson to go, you know, I'd like to hear him out. Or it takes like one, it takes like one Matt Damon, or it takes one A-list or B-list celebrity to just, like a Jake Gyllenhaal, to just go, yeah, you know, I kind of am interested in what he's saying, and that's going to force a debate or it's going to force a town hall at least like i completely right now 80 percent believe there will be a town hall debate between robert kennedy jr and joe biden moderated by anderson cooper it's not going to happen now it's going to happen in a little bit but i'm at that point where if he started at 14 percent, you look at that and you go whoa i get he's a kennedy his name recognition but everybody kind of knows who this dude is by now then he gets up to like 19 and now you have ABC News censoring him. And I, I, I'm one of these guys where I don't subscribe to anything RFK Jr. says. The guy is a far-left wacko loon. And yet here I am going, why are you censoring him on vaccines? Now, I, I'm not one of those, like, vax or anti-vax people. I, I got the COVID vaccine. I got a booster. What I will say, I'm not getting another one. I've, I got COVID once prior to the vaccine. I caught COVID twice after the, or no, once after the vaccine. I've, I've had it twice and it hit me harder after the vaccine than it did prior. Um, and I stated this on the podcast. I, I don't, you don't even hear booster campaigns anymore. Like they're gone. 
and I noted this through what I said on the podcast about just being at the grocery store. And I liked one of the comments somebody left today where they went to Costco and they said, something is just off. I don't know what it is. And then they realized they just removed the plexiglass <laughs> between the clerk and the person. And that's kind of what I mean by it's, it's, it's gone. It, it just isn't here anymore. The, my vaccine card's not getting checked. You just, you can walk into a restaurant and sit down and nobody gives a shit. I know in some liberal cities, Seattle for one is where someone said, you know, masks are still everywhere, whatever. But the thing that you touched on that you're, you're right on, and, and this is exactly kind of the point I'm getting to about how he generates enough interest, is you're right. He can be kooky on autism vaccines. He can be crazy on some things. The funniest thing he said today um, when they asked him about, like, the World, tr- the, the, the World Trade Organization, and he's like, yeah, that's a globalist cabal controlled by Bill Gates so he can farm farmland up in America. And I just started laughing and I'm like, this is like Naomi Wolf. If Naomi Wolf was named a Kennedy, this would be the same shit. But this really is a faction of the political left that they haven't had to deal with. Similar to, you can argue, that Trump back in 2013 when he's yelling about Barack Obama's birth certificate, that was a faction of the political right they didn't have to deal with. And then all of a sudden, oh shit, we have to deal with this. And you're absolutely right that he can be wrong on on 85 or 90 percent of what he's saying about vaccines or uh, the World Health Organization or the World Trade Organization or Davos or anything globalists, what have you. But you're right that if people take stock in even one or two things and it and then our media goes off and censors him, they're just like, we're not going to air that part of the interview. We're not we're not going to do that. Sorry. And it's like, wait, why, why not? Why don't you just let him do it? And why don't you just say, nope, we're not doing that. Done. It's gone. It's gone. You're right that he's going to gain traction just based on that. Just based on people going, why aren't you going to let him speak? Maybe we should just let him have a debate. Let's have, let's have a debate. Hey, why won't Joe Biden debate him? You're absolutely right that this is how you get more of him. And this point you make about, he can be, absolute batshit crazy on 95% of the stuff. But if 5% of it people take stock in, that's not only how you got Robert Kennedy Jr. That's how you got. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, you know, just to, just to bring one of my points a little bit closer to, to, to reality, you know, when I was talking about the double counting and everything that eventually came to light when, when the controversy about, um, them having quote never tested transmission tested these vaccines for transmission that's because when they released them they were double counting those effects they were saying okay they never got they never got infected therefore they're they're not transmitting so that that was where that they made that chain and they communicated that as if they will they will stop transmission here's my my question for you like so i saw jimmy dore who he showed how many programs or award shows are sponsored by Pfizer. Yeah. Um, I don't, maybe you, maybe you buy into that. I'm not one of those guys where, I, I mean, I'm maybe I'm, I'm Pfizer curious in the sense of is Pfizer controlling editorial content at places like ABC news. So I'm if for all of my skepticism in media, I still kind of believe sponsors are sponsors, but whatever. So how much do you believe is, is that? How much do you believe it's where, where well, like what you saw with Robert Kennedy Jr., you saw this, you saw, I think her name is Lindsay Davis or Lindsay Harris. 
she comes on and she says, we edited out portions of this interview because of vaccines. And then she gives a speech on vaccines. I don't know if her show is sponsored by Pfizer, but we know Pfizer sponsors events on ABC. How much do you think of it was that, or how much do you genuinely think was about, we're rolling out a vaccine. We don't really know what this is going to do. Um, not in the safe of being unsafe. I'm not going to hashtag died suddenly. What I'm saying is, for instance, like what you said about transmission, I'm someone who got vaccinated. I took one booster and then I still got COVID and I got sick with COVID. Like it wasn't non-symptom. I, I had symptoms. So how much do you think of it was, um, hey, we're just doing what our sponsors are telling us, which is kind of what RFK Jr. is saying. And how much of it do you think it was? We didn't test this enough. We need to go out and lie to people. And when I say lie, it's we need to go out and tell people the vaccine is effective. You're not going to get COVID, whatever. Do you think it was that or do you think it was then they, then they were blindsided by the fact that people were still getting COVID? Do you think that they knew about it or do you think it was just kind of organic? Well, we know pretty much for sure that in some cases, um, you know, advertisers can have an effect on the editorial content of news programs. Uh, I mean, the, the, particularly on like local news networks where the, the money has much more of an impact, there's, there's fewer, uh, fewer sources of that type of advertising revenue and that quantity coming in. They, you know, the, the, the editorial people will say, you know, let's, let's, let's downplay this, this portion of a story. We don't want to necessarily piss off the advertisers. If we just look at how much of the internet is run by deciding what advertisers, you know, speculating on what advertisers may want to advertise on content wise, where people are getting, you know, demonetized just off of the speculation of what people think the advertisers might pay for. You can, you can be sure that decisions in, in general are being made along those lines. Now, I don't think that, I don't think that, that the, the whole, thing that we witnessed the entire play was you know uh, was directed by Pfizer that's a that's a completely separate sort of claim um my general my general belief is that majority of the people out there are they they do not have the knowledge to be making decisions they are given a set of of um heuristics, a set of things that they can repeat to themselves that mimic logic and mimic thinking, and that makes them look strong and confident, and then they repeat that. And then all of their friends repeat that, and so now everyone that they know is saying the same thing. And therefore, when someone comes up against it, you just react against it. No, this isn't, no, you can't do this. This isn't right. Yeah. No, you're, you're wrong. You're an idiot. You're I, ignorant. I, I, you don't know anything. I've run into that in real life. No, you're absolutely right. And for those of you who don't know who Jimmy Dore is, Jimmy Dore is exactly who I'm talking about when I talk about the RFK left. He's he's kind of like um, Rusty Rockets. And so, I mean, he's a far. These are these are. This is kind of what I mean about how RFK Jr. might get a foothold enough to at least trigger a debate um, or a town hall is this is a guy who's sort of like to the left of the Young Turks, you know, and he's someone like Rusty Rockets. And th that's the crew to me that can at least force this debate to where Jimmy Dore is the one where he ran the, the you know, brought to you in part by Pfizer. And he's showing all of the award shows. He's showing all of the news programs. And even to a guy like me, like what you said, where I don't I don't think where Pfizer is dictating this stuff. But then you see that and you just you kind of tilt your head a little bit. If, if you don't buy into it all the way, 
you do tilt your head and you kind of wonder about it. And you just go, ah, so Pfizer's sponsoring all of our mainstream media content. Then an, a major ABC News, a major mainstream network, ABC News, has RFK Jr. on their show, who they know, they know what his views are before that dude comes on. This isn't like just some, you know, secret celebrity. It's not like E. Jean Carroll coming on and going, I think rape is sexy. And it's like, we're going to commercial, fuck. Um, they know who this guy is. They know what he has been spouting for years. And then they have him on, and then they ask him the questions, and then they cut it. They don't show it. And then they go on and they say, he said a lot of insane shit about vaccines that we're not going to air. But, you know, I just want to let you know that these vaccines are safe, brought to you in part by Pfizer. And even I kind of just tilt my head at that. <laughs> just, well, like, just take that as an example. That, so, that person doesn't like, what know. Do you, what? How do you think this looks? Like, I'm someone that I have to be responsible I can't just like completely throw out insane conspiracy theories. John Fetterman doesn't have depression. They just want him in a controlled environment. I have to be responsible with my platform. And I see that. And even I'm like, how does like normie person take that once they're aware of it? Like once Jimmy Dore shows that. So that's what I mean about um, RFK Jr.'s potential to wreak some havoc in this. And so I'm talking about D Jimmy uh, Dore. I'm talking obviously um rusty rockets i'm talking about david sirota ryan Grimm. i'm talking about that section of the liberal left they're going to start to do that they're going to start to be kind of like why won't you let him debate and then it's just gonna it's i said it on twitter like i don't think our media our mainstream media is prepared for the anti-vax left well which month does uh joe rogan bring uh <laughs> next month easily mick yeah <laughs> i'll give it three you weeks know? Easily. All right. So last last thing I'll do so I don't I'll give ever everybody else their time um, is the community notes. I just want to give sort of like a yeah. A, a view on that. I was uh, over the last like two months. I was doing a sort of a semi in depth review of community notes, um, looking at the original white paper, etc. And the math is is very complicated. So it, they're not going to be able to explain it thoroughly. But the reason, Stephen, that you need to have uh, five, uh, that ranking of five is because of, uh, in general, how few notes are voted on by few people. So so a, an individual person might only like rank a couple notes across a couple tweets here and there, and the rest of the notes in existence are unranked by them. They're, they're unvoted on. And so the complexity of attempting to um, make these predictions that they want to make when the predictions are based on how uh, hopefully how uh, helpful the note is scoring um they because there's so few uh, data points it gets it they wind up needing like this threshold of five in order to make the the math math work so that's why you need to have those five entry points to uh to qualify um, yeah it's not something i've cared about it's not like i'm desperate to post community notes i mostly used birdwatch as a troll like I love the fact that I could like go in and say, I'm using my official official bird watcher position to fact check a Washington post reporter. And they would just be like, what the fuck? Um, I'm, I love, I, I don't, I have never, I don't have to leave community notes. I kind of like sitting back and observing them. I kind of like being someone who this is my job. This is what I do for a living. And yet I can kind of just sit back and look at it like a work of art that someone who, uh, might have 30 Twitter followers. You might not even know who this person is. 
they can step up and say, well, here, Randy Garden, here are five examples where um, you said school should be closed. That is the entire reason I do what I do. It's it, it's not it's I can only influence so much. And especially now that I'm blocked by most mainstream journalists, that's the thing where I look at and I'm like, yeah, this is fucking great because that's kind of where it is. It's 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 the, the power is not with one, say, Stephen Crowder, for example. The power is with people on social media that ha- either have 30 followers, 300,000. If you have a voice and you can elbow your way in, that's to me, that to me is what the power is to push back on this stuff. And that to me is what the power of community notes is. You don't know who's writing the note. And that's that's where I think journalists are going to start to lose their shit on this. And like I said, I think I said on the podcast today where you're going to start to see pieces about community notes are a problem because we don't know who the source is. And these are people who have been using anonymous sources for years right. to push, you know, you know, single source stories about something Donald Trump said. And that to me is the power of, there's no incentive to lie. If it's an anonymous note, the anonymous note is powerful because it could come from you. It could come from me. It could come from someone with five Twitter followers who just know the facts. They're well-researched, they're well-resourced, and they can post one, two, three, four, five links. And trust me, that is infinitely better than uh, some douche nozzle who writes for a spectator with 400,000 followers on Twitter. Yeah, well, the, the another thing they try to do, uh, trying doesn't mean they're, they're, they're going to accomplish it. I can't, I can't I've, while I can understand the mathematics, understanding the mathematics isn't the same as um, actually seeing them in action to see if there's any, any flaws you're missing. But they attempt, they attempt to rank what you're doing based off of whether or not it seems to be in line. So if, if you are voting for something and you're saying it's helpful and it seems, it seems that that is out of line with your regular um, attitude, meaning it, it's not something you're, you were going to rate as helpful anyway. You know, if someone puts a, a, a community note under a trans woman saying he's really a man and you, and that's simple, something you're usually upvoting, that get, doesn't get as much uh, weight as something that seems uh, out of your politics, let's say. And so they attempt to moderate things that way so that they don't allow just pylons or, or, you know, swarms of bots to, to upvote something into, into appearing. They attempt to use these sorts of um, uh, weights in order to give things hopefully credence that deserves the credence. Now, there is a downside that I've noticed that, it, that you can't really notice from the front end of Twitter. And that is there, there's a problem where a tweet can have too many community notes on it and nothing gets enough votes to make it to the front. So you can actually have a really horrible tweet that is getting community noted to, ha- to all hell, but none of them get enough votes to become the, the front note. And so then nothing appears uh, on the front screen. I've noticed that. So there's a tweet from uh, uh, AOC that had, last time I counted, 56 individual com- notes. Um, and that was the most notes out of any any particular tweet. But none of them got voted uh, enough uh, to make it to the top out of all the 56. And so none of them appear if you go view that from the front of Twitter. So <laughs> That's funny because I was just saying I've never had a, a tweet community noted, but maybe I have. Like I've always, I've always been like, I, I don't really, I don't really get ratioed unless I do it on purpose. And then I noticed like I haven't had a community note on any of my tweets yet. So I must be doing something good. So I'm, you make it sound like I'm probably getting community noted every tweet. 
Well, Glenn, I, I wrote myself a, a Chrome plugin to try to see some of this, and uh, Glenn Kessler has has some that uh, recently where they haven't, or at the time I looked, they hadn't recently got up there. There was one that he had that was 12, 12 negative notes attached to it that hadn't bubbled up. So, all right, thanks. I'll let everybody else get on here. Uh, thanks, Roller. I know we ran long there, but um, like I said, these are this kind of conversational. We only have a couple of people in the queue here, so it doesn't matter. Timothy. You're up. Thanks for waiting. I know that that was kind of long. Um, welcome to our 100th episode, Clown Car Spectacular. Um, I may like start sending out random invites for people to jump up here that I've seen who have been here for like 100 episodes. So if you see those, you should probably accept it because you'll be lame if you don't. Hey, Stephen, congratulations on 100 episodes. I, I don't know if it's congrats. It's just, I mean, tech moves so fast and interesting that an app being around for a year like Colin and, and to have the voices they have on it to, to be here a year later is kind of like like weird to me. It's like, all right, I guess we did this. Um, if you were to ask me, are we going to be doing a 200th episode? Uh, I don't know. And that's not based on anything I know about Colin. It's just, it's it's weird that it's like we've done a hundred of these. It's This has been over a year. So thank you. Yeah. Well, it's a lot of work. Um, uh, I just wanted to comment. I wanted to respond to uh, your podcast this week about uh, Fauci, um, you know, challenging challenging his challenges, saying that he never, you know, he, yeah. never, he never personally he, ordered. He was just post. a guy making a recommendation. Yeah, you know, I, I, uh, um, I'm seeing Fauci, this. Fauci uh, was just happy to be there. He he was only there because so he wouldn't get fined. That's about. Yeah, I have a. I mean, I have a bit of a different interpretation on what he was saying, sure. um, and it's it's not flattering for him either. But to me, he wasn't saying that, you know, that he's going to personally go. He didn't personally go do it. He's saying that, well, I'm not an elected official. Uh, none of this was really my responsibility, and um, he's passing the buck up to where it should be, which is at the elected officials. And okay, I mean, he, it doesn't. It's not like I said. It's not really flattering to him anyway. But I kind of think that's the point that should be being grabbed onto here because uh i mean one of the most amazing things about the pandemic was to me was just how how strongly it showed the federalist system is you, you know desantis showed that you don't have to listen to Fauci; you could just ignore him he didn't have any real power um and he should be really i kind of think it's an opportunity to you know to grab onto the comment and say you know Fauci's exactly right i don't know why you guys shut down i didn't i don't know why trump didn't fire him i'm going to fire him on the first day i'm in, I'm in office um uh, and, uh, so yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that? Uh, I a hundred percent agree with you that I, I think, so I have two minds on this. Um, I saw, I saw criticism of DeSantis who basically said, we're not going to turn, we're not going to turn decision-making over to help bureaucrats. And I saw someone say like, what, what was Trump supposed to do? And, and I think that this is important context. In, 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 believe it or not, in fairness to Trump and Fauci, I do think that there is a a window of when this pandemic started of we have no fucking idea what's going on. <laughs> like nobody, nobody in government, nobody at the CDC, nobody just out there working, nobody. All we were getting was fed was that this is a respiratory virus that is harder than pneumonia. It's affecting mostly elderly people. And... Uh, people with uh, health complications, like so like diabetes, for example. So I'm not one of these people where 
despite my disfavor of who Trump and who Fauci is, I don't, I, I don't blame. Okay, so for the first month or so, it's kind of like, I don't really blame you guys. Like, we didn't know what this was. Um, my problem enters is where Fauci is saying, hey, look, I had no power in the situation. All I did is I listened to CDC, I made a recommendation, and then Trump said, uh, okay, I'm going to take your recommendation, I'm going to shut it down. And so um, what then as we learned later on, going he, here's to me where the conflict enters. So then you had governors like uh, Kemp in Georgia with his own health officials, you had DeSantis in Florida, and they were listening to their own health officials, and they were saying, like, look, look at the community spread here. It's it's affecting elderly, and it's affecting uh, people with comp- – but it's not affecting, like, healthy people in their 20s and their 30s who are going outside to the playground. That's, that, that's not where this virus is going. And so you had governors like DeSantis and Kemp, and in all credit to Kemp, Kemp was ahead, more ahead of the ball than DeSantis on this, but Kemp's not running for president. And then they said, well, your federal regulations seem to be off. Like, this isn't affecting healthy people from, like, you know, kids to age 40 with no help, help, you know, complications. So I'm thinking we need to reopen. People need jobs. People need to have their livelihood. Um, And so if you recall, the first governor to offer to reopen was Kemp. And Trump came out against that very publicly, came out and said, Kemp can't reopen. He can't do that. And then you had DeSantis in Florida, and they basically said, well, we're going to let people go to the beach now. Like, this virus isn't something that spreads externally. Like, you can't cough it into the beach atmosphere, and somebody 23 yards away is going to catch this. And so I don't, I'm not one of those people that just reflexively says Fauci did everything wrong. I'm not one of these people that reflexively says Trump did everything wrong. I will say to you, that ultimately the power is with the president. And so you're right in the sense of whatever advice Trump was getting, he followed it. And I think that that's going to be a problem for him more than him or his followers realize in this next election. Now, was he, did he have a choice? I think that this is, I think this is an important topic and I think it's one that's not going to, it's not going to get examined in this election. I think there's just going to be too much like, you know, bullshit flying. Should Trump have followed his Fauci's recommendation? What other choice did he have? I don't know. I'm going to be flat honest with you. I don't know if Trump should have said, Hey, thank you, Dr. Fauci for your recommendation. I also want to go and listen to this guy over here. Um, what we're seeing, though, with Fauci since then is kind of a, politi- a politicization of noble lies. It's you don't need to be walking around in masks. Then it's now you need to go wear a mask. And so when people see that, it's kind of why did you tell us in March we don't need a mask, but now in August you do? And then he says, the science change. And it's like, Really? The, the science changed in, in three months? Because that would be interesting. That's never happened. And so I don't think people are stupid on this. I think that they see Fauci now as a bureaucrat who's trying to protect his reputation. And as I talked about on the podcast, if you're a doctor, if you are diagnosing a patient, you diagnose a patient honestly, regardless of what the patient believes or regardless of what 
the media is telling the patient to believe. You say that this is the thing that is the thing, period. You don't tell a patient a noble lie. And, it, and in one of my, I think I wrote it in The Spectator, in this case, the country was the patient. That was it. It wasn't one person. It was Dr. Fauci and the country. And he, and he owed it to the country to tell the truth, especially with something that was a global pandemic. And we see that that just didn't happen. So, yeah, I, I, I 100% see what you're saying. And I'm not one of these people who reflexively looks back and plays Monday morning quarterback with the pandemic. In those first months, it was fucking chaotic. Nobody knew. I remember like driving in a car and I'm listening to the radio about casualties. And I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, am I am I in a zombie dystopian planet right now? Out of all the things that I think people listening to this, did we ever fucking think we would be listening to a pandemic on the radio? We've seen it in movies, it, we whatever, but then it actually happened. And now what we're learning looking back is it's kind of like this was not like the virus that turns everyone's skin inside out. And we learned that some of the actions were overly harsh. And we learned not only that they were overly harsh. I can forgive that. What I can't forgive is people using those overly harsh reactions to politicize it and use it for their own good. And that includes mostly politicians on the right, on the left. It includes Randy Weingarten, mostly her. She is, to me, Randy Weingarten is a villain number one in all of this over Anthony Fauci. And so um, I look at this and I, say, and I say, okay, now we're looking back and now you see a rehab tour happening. You see Fauci doing a rehab tour. You see Weingarten doing a rehab tour. And now I start to question the timing of it. And to me, it looks like it's in service to Joe Biden's reelection. Yeah, um, well, I, I agree with you that Randy Weingarten is the bigger villain just because she has more power, I think. I mean, uh, she, For, you know, she, she, wields some actual, she wields some actual power, whereas... Real, 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 quick, that... real quick, um, I, I watched the hearing, and I hate Marjorie Taylor Greene. I hate her. <laughs> I wish, I absolutely wish she was nowhere near the levers of power. The problem with Marjorie Taylor Greene is every blue moon she stumbles into a good point and then she hits the gas pedal and like drives into the gas truck and blows it up. And one of the things that was interesting to me that she said to Randy Weingarten, that was a legitimate point, and then she went full retard and she went full Leroy Jenkins, was she said, you're not a doctor, you're not a teacher. And then of course she went, you're not a parent, which, okay, she's not a biological parent with kids in school. And Marjorie Taylor Greene said, why should you have had that kind of influence over the CDC? And I just, I, it hits me with so much pain that someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene made that point. Like why, why could it not have been someone who is legitimately sane to say to Randy Weingarten, you're not a doctor, you're not a virologist, you're not an epidemiologist, you're not a teacher. Why did you have that much influence over the CDC? And then, of course, she goes full, and that's it. And I was kind of just like, oh, <laughs> that sucked. Like, she had it. She was almost normal for three seconds. I didn't mean to interrupt, but that was what's, that, that's what struck me about that. No, that's okay. Um, yeah, that's a, that was – I didn't even know. I, I Actually, and – 
the, the Leroy Jenkins part of it is that I was only aware of the part about her saying that, you know, nasty thing to uh, Ryan Gardner about not being a mother. Yeah, because that's what you read in the media. She... You, and it disregarded <laughs> the entire other point, which she was yeah. right about. She was right about how how is Randy Weingarten, who's not a doctor, you're not a teacher, you're not a professor, you're not an expert on anything, you're just the head of a union. How are you... Uh, how are you influencing health policy? That to me, when I watched that exchange, I was like, oh my God, she's going to be vice president. Yeah. Um, well, I, 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 uh, I, I kind of agree with you that, I mean, I was also very scared at the beginning of the pandemic. So I, it, you know, two weeks to slow the spread seemed perfectly reasonable to me at the beginning. Um, uh, uh, um, I think that, uh, um, I guess my only original point is that focusing on Fauci deserves everything he's, he's getting, in my opinion, in terms of criticism. Uh, and I agree that he's, you know, he lied to us for whatever reason. He lost his credibility. Um, but uh, uh, my only point is that I think I worry that focusing so much on Fauci relieves cause to relief, relief on the people who really deserve the accountability and to whom we can actually impose accountability. Who, who um, do you, who do you think that is by name? Give me, give me the top three. Uh, well, uh, just, just like seriously, just leave politics out of it. Leave whether you're left or the right. Just who do you? Uh, well, Donald Trump. Uh, um, I, and then I guess then I'll say Newsom and Cuomo, maybe. That's that's pretty good. I mean, that's interesting in the sense of, well, I know why you named Newsom and Cuomo. And it's not politics because that's where the pandemic originated. It started. It basically started in San Francisco, and then it's also happened in New York because New York obviously has 8 million people in a subway system. The interesting thing about that is we're still seeing this today. We cannot criticize China because people will get murdered. That was per Judy Chu. Uh And you had New York health officials when this virus first originated saying, hey, come out to the Dragon Festival. (laughs) And that was like they were excusing racial equity in the name of virus of a respiratory virus that was killing people. And that also explained how the protests happened. It was, we need a lockdown. You need to go inside, not come out, lock down your business. No more hair, no more haircuts, no more tattoos, no more bars, no more restaurants, no more anything. And then of course you had the George Floyd incident and it was, Oh, well, we all got to go out and take to the streets now. Sorry. And that is where I think uh, mostly anything other than Anthony Fauci, that was the moment where I think people went, what? Like, are you fucking serious? I think that that was the moment where people were done with public health. officials. Well, yeah, because because I I mean, I remember my feeling about that was like, uh, you know, and and I was living in Washington at the time where it was a little bit more actually at the beginning. It didn't really matter. But I, you know, even though I was pretty very suspicious of the idea that we were going to close down businesses. I was like, okay, this is pretty scary. I can kind of get on board with this. We're all in this together. And there was a little bit of solidarity and unity uh, that we all got to do some things. But then when the, yeah, when the George Floyd protest, you really felt you'd been just, you'd just been totally played. You know, that, um, that, that you know, that these people that said they were serious about it weren't actually serious. Yeah, and I, and I um, honestly think that that's where Fauci, Burks, and other health officials lost their credibility because they didn't come out and say, you have to not do this because they were afraid of the racism implications from people that are ideologically aligned with them. Yeah, I think and this generally is... Anthony Fauci 
was afraid of his Georgetown political connections emailing him and going, no, this is important. I'm sorry. And again, that's how you know he's not a doctor. A doctor is like, no, fuck you. This virus is killing people. Get back inside. And they didn't do that. And I really think that that was. Well, so, I mean, and I think that's why Trump is one of the people on my list, because he didn't. I mean, those people worked for him. He could have, you know, either fired him or not elevated them or not. You know, in my in my opinion, he just basically abdicated his his response to them. And, uh, you know, and as a result, and so part of the lockdowns, I think, are attributable to um, to Trump's failure to to show any kind of executive leadership and get on top of it. Uh, Timothy, I honestly, I honestly don't know your politics. If you voted for Trump, would you vote for him again based on that? I, I, I really hope I'd, I'm not put in that decision again. Uh, it, de- I mean, it depends on what the alternative is, right? And uh, I did vote for him twice. And it was, it was never pleasant either time. Uh, um, but, you know, I took a better of two evils approach to it. And it's going to be so much harder if it if I have to do it again. <laughs> if I, Timothy, you technically avoided the question. I'm I'm totally shitting with you. I'm, I'm just curious. I, I don't know the answer. <laughs> no, because this to me is the biggest thing with Trump is the next nominee is, and this is what's funny to me about the the Trump DeSantis thing is because DeSantis isn't in the race. He hasn't even like thrown a punch at Trump yet. And I really do think that this is I think that this is really simple for him and his team is Trump can go off on Florida. He can go off on DeSanctimonious, da, da, da. And I literally all I mean, and, and obviously I'm not an advisor to DeSantis campaign or anything. I literally think all he has to do is look at him and go, you didn't fire Anthony Fauci. That's exactly what exactly. I think that's it. I think, that I think that's, that's true. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm hoping that's, I, I, I think exactly the same thing. And uh, I'm afraid it's just more wishful thinking on my part because I just can't, I just, you know, I, I think, I that, think Trump, I think Trump is running like a 2016 candidate and not only, not only is he attempting to attack the most popular governor in politics for the, for the Republican side, he's running like he doesn't have a record. And for the most part, and, and I'll, I'm one of these guys where all I said through the Trump years, and, and I'm notoriously anti-Trump. I mean, one of the one of the things I like to say to people is, how come I am not attacked by pro-Trumpers when I am like out, outwardly anti-Trump? And it's one of those things where I realize, and I, I like to tell people this, the only people you should be listening to are the people who like didn't lose their heads over the Trump administration. You praise it. You acknowledge when he do things well. You say, well, that was fucking stupid. Or you laugh at his tweets or whatever. But one of the reasons it's like one of the reasons it's funny that I was never really attacked as, as a guy who's anti-Trump. I am attacked more by anti-Trump people like the Bulwark or Jim Swift or whatever than I am by pro-Trump people. And I'll never vote for the fucking guy. He can run in the next three elections. I will never vote for him. He's fucking insane. And he's going to destroy the Republican Party. Now, I, I look at that and I still say, for the most part, three years of his presidency were pretty fucking good. No foreign conflicts, a record economy. Without the Twitter antics and without just kind of the insane press conferences, he'd be looking at like one of the more one of the more positive GOP presidents of the last half century. And now you look at it and you go, OK, now he's running again. 
he he's it's not 2016 you cannot run as an insurgent you're running as a you're running as the establishment you are a former president you're going after a guy who is the face of anti-covid policy policy that was enacted while you were president and so i guess i look at it and i'm going trump to me could win he absolutely could win he's not going to win running as he did in 2016 and so that's that's one of my curious questions about people who voted for him again. And, and you say you did it reluctantly um, and like you don't want to do it again. But this is the problem he faces. I think it's a very simple equation. If you're running against him, you simply look across the debate stage and say you gave Fauci a medal and just wait for the eruption. Like it's and it's pure trolling. It's what I talk about trolling. It's the least amount of effort that maximizes the most amount of response. And I think it's that simple. Timothy. Uh, I don't remember what I was going to say. Thanks for, uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on. <laughs> I do that. I monologue. Thanks, Timothy. It's good to hear, it's good to hear a new voice. Even on, yeah. even on this 100th episode, Spectacular, where I'm supposed to be bringing back all of the... Oh, episodes. oh, I do remember, Ken. I did have a thought. Oh, um, okay. All right, go. Yeah. Hurry. You got two Hurry. minutes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's just that... Uh, um, I, what do you think of the likelihood is that DeSantis is going to pivot at this at some point? Because it, I, I kind of get worried that... I kind of hate, hate this whole Disney thing. It seems like such a distraction. Uh, um, I, 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 think, I think you're going to be surprised at how many Republican voters agree with DeSantis on Disney. Yeah, I guess it's just, a, I guess it's just unavoidably a front in the culture wars and there's just no getting around it. Uh, uh, I think you, uh, I think you underestimate how much Republican voters care about culture wars right now. I yeah. think they are everything and whether or not I agree with it or not. Um, I touched on this on podcast today. It's if, if Nikki Haley weighs in and says, come on to South Carolina, Disney, she just nuked her campaign. It's over. Yeah. Um, I th- I read this comment on the podcast today. For the most part, for the last 10 years, conservatives or Republicans or whatever people on the right have sat back while the Obama administration moved on Hobby Lobby, uh, while New York politicians attacked Chick-fil-A. Bill, Bill de Blasio told Chick-fil-A, when Chick-fil-A tried to put a restaurant in Times Square, he said no. He, they uh, literally tried to prevent this from happening. Chick-fil-A is not a political activist group. They're just Christian hate chicken, you know, like whatever. Um, so you have Hobby Lobby. Then you have the Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado. This is a guy who is had, is a single business, has been, had to go to the Supreme Court because he refused to take a contract. He didn't refuse to serve someone, okay? Like civil rights laws are very specific this way, where if, if a black person walks into your business, you can't tell them to, hey, get out or anything like that. But if you want to enter into a, a independent contractor agreement, um, it's an independent contract agreement. They've ruined this guy's life. And here you have the most powerful media conglomerate on the planet. And this is where I think DeSantis is erring a little bit. I think him and his team need to say this, and I think they need to paint Disney. Disney is not just Mickey Mouse, go see the Little Mermaid. We're here for your kids. We provide all of this shit to your kids. I think DeSantis needs to paint them as what they are, which is the most powerful media conglomerate on the planet. Disney has more power than just about 70% of governments in this, in this planet. Um, one of the most famous things about Disney people don't know about is there was a daycare center in Florida 
and you you should Google this because it's it's way better than I'm describing it. That put Disney characters on their walls. Just just they're an independent daycare center. They just wanted kids to see Goofy or Tigger or whatever the fuck. And Disney sued them because of copyright infringement. That's who Disney is. Disney is not your family-friendly corporation. They they own ABC News, ESPN, Marvel, Star Wars. They are the most literally the most powerful media conglomerate on the planet. And so where I think DeSantis errors is not that he's suing them to get rid of their tax status. I don't care about that. Where I think he's erring is they're allowing them to frame the debate as DeSantis versus Mickey Mouse. This is not DeSantis versus Mickey Mouse. This is DeSantis versus a corporation that will adhere to the worst autocracies on the planet, including China, to basically produce their animations, to uh, film their movies like Mulan was filmed, right like 30 miles from Xinjiang concentration camps. And so I, I can see how people think it's a distraction. I would argue that after years of suing Hobby Lobby, going after Masterpiece Cake Shop, um, going after Chick-fil-A, this is a pushback. And this is saying, we're not going to take this anymore. And I think people underestimate how attractive that message is to the Republican base. Yeah, I could be wrong. I I, I guess I, uh, I mean, my... In terms of lived experience, is how I, how I experience the debate. What I the, the attacks I hear are just not really about him versus Mickey Mouse, but him showing himself to be an authoritarian over, you know, another company. They, and they don't you know say which company, but that's kind of the framing out of the argument I get. And I'm worried that might have some uh, purchase. You know, if, if it's like, well, this is, this does look like a retaliation on a private company. Um, I don't know how well that's going to sell. Um, Maybe. I mean, it might look like that. But again, I, I would look at you and say all that matters now is Republican primary base. So if the Republican primary voter base looks at this and says, fuck Disney, he's in good shape. Um, I, to answer your last question, then we're, I want to get to these last callers yeah. here. Um, how likely is it that he uses Fauci against Trump? I would say 100 percent. That's not that's not me that's not me like in touch with people from DeSantis. That's not anything. I think it's a pretty obvious attack and he's, and he signaled it. He, he's basically said leaders lead. We don't outsource our leadership to health bureaucrats. Now that's, that brings us full circle to where we were talking about is what was Trump supposed to do? Um, Was he not supposed to just not follow Fauci's advice? Eh, No. Yes. And no. Um, you can argue hindsight, but looking back, we when you look back at Fauci and we look back at how this virus is developed, and we know that it didn't it didn't really spread outdoors, it didn't spread by uh, via transmission that way. Well, that's just to me how the cards fall. That's just how it happened, and so I, I really do think it's that simple. I really think, and and I do actually think the Santos people know this. I think all he has to do is look at Donald Trump across the stage and say, you didn't fire Fauci. You did whatever he said. And I think that that's maybe the election. I could be wrong. I'm wrong on these things a lot. Um, But this is the problem with Trump is he has a record now. He has a presidency to look back on. Most of it good. And good in the sense of like, how did it affect the country? Um, Yeah, I could probably 
do without the tweets and the late night screaming of nuking Denmark or whatever. Um, but he has he has a record of judgment and Trump has to run on that. He can't run against the record of the governor of Florida because it just looks weak. And so I really do think it's easy for Trump to go on a debate stage and 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 punch the fuck out of Jeb Bush. Nobody liked Jeb Bush, whatever. He has a shitty last name. It's easy for him to punch the fuck out of Marco Rubio, who was the gang of eight amnesty guy. It's easy for him to to punch the fuck out of Rand Paul with a weird curly hair and Rand Paul's like four feet tall. It's different when you're standing on the stage with a governor who is the most popular Republican governor in the country, and he can look at Donald Trump and say, you were president. Why did you not ban child child transmutilation procedures before you were the president um why did you not fire fauci why did you do everything he said and that's when you get the fireworks and i think it's as simple as that does that mean trump doesn't win the nomination no i don't know but that to me i i'm pretty sure that DeSantis's people are pretty aware of that and i think they're just sitting on their powder thanks Stephen. have a uh, congratulations again on 100 episodes thanks timothy yeah. Matt, uh, we'll go with John Dave. We're gonna. I, it looks like we're probably gonna end with Jacqueline, which is pretty suiting. But Matt, go ahead. Thanks for waiting. I know this has been a a, a long rambling uh, episode, but thanks for it, waiting. Go ahead. It's fine. I, I'm just gonna rattle a couple things off. One of my favorite Matt, episodes. you're you're being called Matt from East Palestine in uh, comments. No, I know. I'm kind of uh, ambiguous. You know, kind of a whole bunch of places. One of my favorite episodes was you said you weren't shit faced, but there was one time, man, you were, I, I swear to God, you were hammered. It was like a three hour line after. The yeah. Three. Yeah. We went, there was one? one of those. We went for three, it was three and a half. It was like three hours and four. It was longer than fucking Titanic. It was. I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I, the reason I like this is, um, I work a lot. I unwind on Fridays or whatever. And I like listening to the people who call in. It's very interesting. Um, and I have a laugh and I appreciate kind of you doing this. And it's, it, it's kind of interesting too, as well as because you're kind of talking about COVID and I was just blacking out because COVID is actually synonymous with when I have stopped really trusting and paying attention to anyone in the media um, or anyone that runs our institutions in this country and really lost faith that a lot of people have scaled during that time. And um, it's disappointing. And that's when I started listening to this guy, Stephen L. Miller. And I don't watch the news anymore. I have independent media sources, which I very, very little. I don't watch TV much. Um, and man, COVID, it was a combination of COVID Adults not being adults, and it wasn't Fauci, and it wasn't Trump, because politicians weren't going to stop a fucking virus. But it was just the adults in this country who just didn't step up. And couple that with the fucking country being burned down for a month because some, you know, in the name of some random black guy in Minneapolis, which was a local story. It should have been a local story in the police blotter, but because of day and age it was it got blown up into a global racial racist racial story i think it um, got blown up because of the viral video of the person filming it and they tried to they tried to assign it to rodney king they, they yeah that's basically what they're doing um i don't care about the circumstances around it 
Um, I, I know George Floyd tried to go in and he tried to pass off a phony twin. One of the, I mean, I don't want to say funny because it's a bad situation. It's it's bad situation from the incident. It's a bad situation from the cops. It's a bad situation from the politics of Minnesota, which allowed it to happen, which is a liberal city for decades. But somebody said to me, like, <laughs> it's like if you were like ghost of Christmas future George Floyd, could you even imagine that you were just a guy who who tried to go in and pass off a $20 bill and it ended up leading to gestures all of this? And I, I think about that a lot. That was Kate Hyde who said that, by the way. She might be listening or not. Um and I think about that one a lot. And it's it, it, and no, I, I don't think George Floyd deserved to be choked out on the sidewalk. And I don't buy even if he was on fentanyl or even if he was on whatever. No, he didn't. No, it didn't deserve that. But it was it to me that thing was a perfect cover up of. Listen, we can't look at the policing policies of Minnesota or Minneapolis, which has been run by progressive Democrats for decades it's the entire country is racist and because they can't, and because we have a media who won't examine the, the policing policies of Minnesota or Minneapolis, it's uh, Matt is racist or John Jacqueline and David or me, you're the problem. And that's what has spun off this entire industry of equity. It's what spun off Ibram Kendi and Robin D'Angelo. And that's what's guiding a current like progressive Democrat presidential administration to the point of hey i'm 80 years old i can barely stay awake midday i'm running for president again and if you elect me she'll be president and that's what they're doing and that's kind of the point about media it's if media would hold the policies of the people involved in minneapolis then it wouldn't be you are racist i am racist it's the people of Minneapolis who've been voting this way for the last 40 years, that's what led to George Floyd's poverty. That's what led him to do these things. Like the fact that you were keeping these African-American poor urban centers poor and in poverty on purpose, like Chicago, Baltimore, Minneapolis, St. Louis, San Francisco, it's happening in everywhere. And this conversation that they keep telling us that we need to have that conversation happens right up until we talk about the politics of the people in charge. And that's the problem. So not to monologue or interrupt you, but yeah, it, it's, it's a, it, it's a fucking problem, but that's. Yeah. It's, it's remarkable because I think about it a lot too. And it's amazing that that moment in history is to your point spun off into DEI, you know, institutions running corporate America, the equity principles, you know, being adopted. It was always probably the plan, but then they just leveraged that one moment. And I wasn't downplaying the, the murder. You're going to get another um, one, by but, the way, because we're coming into an election. Yeah. And that, that this is what's funny is that this happened in the 2012 election with um, in Florida with a teenager, the George Zimmerman teenager, Trayvon yeah. Martin. Then they learned that they could leverage this in 2016. We had we had riots and protests leading in 2016. Then you had it in 2020. So th that's this is the kind of joke is that we're heading into riot season. 
they will find one of these incidences probably August before it gets cold, August, September, October, you're going to see another police shooting incident in a progressive city that they're going to highlight to go out and rab- you know, rouse the rabble. And again, I can't do much to plead with people to not fall for it. But you're right about, to go back to your original point, I don't think you're alone because I'm, I'm one of those people where I didn't have a business shutdown. Um, we, we didn't have any of that stuff, but we, everybody did the right thing. Everybody said, okay, you're telling us 15 days of solo spread. We'll do it. Okay. We're going to do this. And then of course, then you have the George Floyd murder and all the progressives in all of these cities just float out into the streets. And it was like, Hey, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> It's yeah, like, it's and, like, hey, you're going to kill people. We've been told for 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 months you're going to kill people if you congregate like that. No, we're wearing masks and racism is a worse virus. And I do think that that was a pill moment. Yeah, you, oh, you can argue yeah. red pill. It certainly was for me. It was the moment when I was like, none of you give a shit. None of you care about this. You don't care about any of this. In, like. In my- in it my was, perspective, it in was my everybody did this. the right fucking thing, and now your political cause is more important, so you can flood out into the streets. And it wasn't so much that they did it. It was then that you had the New York Times publish a piece saying public health experts agree, no transmission from protests and racism is a bigger virus. And I think that that's where most people threw their fucking hands up and just went, you know what, fuck that, we're done. We're done with you. We're... We're never doing this again. And that's what was interesting about when Caitlin Collins, to her credit, said to Anthony Fauci, would you endorse mask mandates again? And he just went, jeez, oh, we'll have to see. I don't know. And, um, yeah, that that was, I mean, if you're looking back on the pandemic, that to me was the moment. It was, it was, we did what you told us to. We did everything right. And then... The streets just flood full of like young twenty-five-year-old protesters in masks, and you were guys were all like, "Ah, this is fine." Yeah, and the the other part too for me, it, which is linked to this, is what kind of did it for me was with the church um, that the in Lafayette Square was it where it was that got burnt down, which was I mean it literally is a couple hundred yards from the White House, and um, you know that was just a that was just a twenty-four-hour news story. What, they what, down what happens if Ron DeSantis is elected president and he's being sworn at the Capitol and protesters storm the White House? How do you think the media covers that? Well, I think what we're seeing right now from the left is they were storming Capitol, state capitals in Wisconsin. They were doing all this stuff, and then obviously the Yahoo's on January sixth do it at the at the at the Capitol, um, which was not good. And now you have you see these mini um, stormings. I think this leads to something not great in 2024. It's the problem is not the people do it. The problem is, and this is the whole point of versus media. It's the whole point of why I have a media podcast. The point is not that people do it. People are going to act like assholes, whether it's storming the United States Capitol or whatever, the problem is, is you have a national media that excuses one side doing it. And it's, it's, it is absolutely, I mean, I don't want to say it's insane, but after three years of January 6th, 
January 6th just being shoved down our throats, which and I've I've been on record saying that the Republican Party and conservatives deserve that being shoved down your throats to a certain extent, that the first incident of it happening since then, which was Nashville, they all endorse it. Yeah, they all go to bat for it. They all are like, no, these are three patriots. They're on Good Morning America like they are fucking game show contestants. And I'm just like, this is what. This is where we go. This yeah. is the this is where the media says, "Hey, assholes! No, you shouldn't be shutting down state legislatures with a bullhorn and opening doors for rioters." That's what they did. And here's the media rolling out the red carpet. Now you have this guy in Montana, and it is a guy in Montana who said, "You all have blood on your hands." And the Montana legislature went, "You just broke decorum, and we're now we're now silencing you. We're voting." Because this isn't how we do things. And now you have a national media making this guy out, this uh, trans legislator, out to be a martyr. And then you just go, they're doing this shit on purpose because they know that Trump's, you know, dumb boomer hick base is going to see this and go, well, they can do it. Why can't we? So what happens when Biden runs against Trump again and Trump loses again and then they storm the Capitol? Again, and then they just they know what they're doing is my whole point. And I'm more frustrated with the political right not recognizing what they're doing. Like, guys, don't go to the Capitol buildings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I, I get I get the thought process to say, well, they're doing it. Why can't we? No, you lose when you do that because they're expecting you to do that. They want you to do that. You have a national media egging you on. That is the whole point. And so sort of like the pandemic moment where it's like, we're going out and protesting. Okay, great. This was another one where Nashville, we're going to storm the Capitol. And then it's like, wait a second. I thought that that was bad. And now you have the national media. No, it's not bad. We're doing it. And this boils down to the simple fact that our media and Democrats in conjunction say we can do this. And you can't. And we're going to make sure you can't. And oh, by the way, you're going to go to fucking prison. And no, I don't endorse the January 6th riots at all. I think anyone that entered that Capitol should go to jail. Not for 15 years, but whatever. But this is the whole point of why they do it. And so here we had the January 6th riots. And the first instance of that since it happened was Nashville, where they opened the doors they let in protesters that attacked state troopers. Yep. And here's the media going, well, here's your table right over here. Have a seat. And that's the problem. That is why this whole podcast. Yeah. And I, I liked your podcast today because I think it was something that people talked a lot about in 2020 about what Biden's plan was and what the angle was. And I think. I'm worried about 2024. I really am. I think a lot for a couple of reasons. I think you look at these cities where they could have had a reckoning on COVID or these states, these governorships that won or just these the, the, whatever. The problem was that the GOP did not make 2020 about COVID. Yeah. They could have. It, you could it, have had candidates that said, you know, Katie Hobbs is going to lock your state down. Instead, you had Carrie Lake screaming about a stolen election. Everything that was done was done intentionally, and GOP and the GOP voters fell for it. 
and this and, is why I stand here waving the the glowy airplane things, going, "Don't do it again." And they're probably going to fucking do it again. The the and I know it's not um I know it's not representative of the country, but you see these races where these people win. Let's and I know Chicago is not representative of the United States, but where worst people get jobs from people that should have been fired, like Lightfoot. And then they go and elect and they hire somebody that who's going to be worse. And you see these states being run by governors that are terrible and cities. I'm concerned that people are going to make the wrong decision again, um, especially if Trump's the only other option. But um, listening to your podcast today, that's kind of the point I want to make. Winning message is not so much about the Fauci thing. He just needs to get up there and says, I have one guy who can only do this for four years, the guy that I'm running against, that's Trump. And then the other guy, and I'm assuming what Biden is not going to be committing, committed on is answering the question, will, will you serve all four years? And he'll do the, oh, and he'll look at Jill. So DeSantis's line, I think, is simply is, I'm running against Trump, who, who can only do one term. And if I make it past him, the other guy can't even tell the American uh, uh, to, can can tell America that he'll even finish his term. And it might be this other woman that isn't very good. Um, and I think that's just the angle he needs to take and then get in the mud about COVID and Fauci and everything. But I think that message is going to land. Um, I think the census of people are keeping their powder dry. And that's, that's kind of what I think. I think they have multiple angles on this. And this is why the, like I've said, I, I, I see the back and forth cat fight between pro DeSantis people and the Trump's influencers. And they're all acting like a Twitter battle is, is everything that depends on the next election. Yeah. <laughs> and as someone who's a veteran of the Twitter battles of 2016, I just look at it and I shrug on the guys. They don't care. They don't care. They don't know guys, guys, stop, stop. Stop, stop, AG, stop. That's kind of where I'm at at this point and why you don't see me participate. I, I dabble in it once in a while when I, when, I, when I see just something that's like, I don't care that Trump's people are going after DeSantis. I care when like NBC does it because they're, they're obviously presenting something that's false. And so um, I, I think people are under, uh, underestimating how DeSantis's people are going to come out should he and probably honestly decide to run because you're right. You're absolutely right about the, the different lines of attacks. I do simply think it's as simple as looking at him and going, you did whatever Anthony Fauci told you to. And I think it's, I, I think that that's enough. Um, obvious, and, it and just to watch Trump go nuclear on that. And there's a reason why Trump is opting out of debates. He does not want to have to, to answer to his presidency on stage. Yeah, I he's going to so. have to, whether it's I, to DeSantis or to Chris Christie or to Joe Biden. Um, I also see a world where Biden and Trump get the nomination and we don't have any debates. And that I is see, a very I bad Trump. I see Trump, which he's kind of alluding to with the no debating. And he's doing these more of these um, in Margalago videos where he's just like the video of him. I think he does a basement Joe campaign and he just kind of stays out of the limelight and he just tries to do it that way. It's cheaper. He 
doesn't have to that be a rally. Wor- that works now if Trump is a nominee. Right. If Trump is right. a nominee, Biden can just stay home and sit in his lazy boy and fall asleep. If Trump is not the nominee, Biden's going to have to get his ass out there. Um, This isn't about a personal preference. I think people get my personal preference here. My personal preference is pretty much (laughs) there are four people that I think could beat Biden and none of them are Trump. Um, If Trump is not, you're, you're right in the sense of they're counting on Biden just hanging in the White House or hanging in Delaware, recording videos, doing that maybe one trip a week because they're telling us that. Um, no, no, no. I'm saying Trump is going to do the same thing. I don't think so. I, Trump's going to do rallies. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing about Trump. You. This goes back to Hillary is for all of his faults. You cannot outwork him. Yeah. COVID was a. The COVID campaign was a unique circumstance that allowed Biden to not he could be in the he could be in his basement record videos, and then Trump goes out and he campaigns, and then of course like Herman Cain dies and Trump catches COVID. Well, we're beyond that now, so um, that's not the COVID campaign is going to be the issue. You cannot outwork Trump. And that's one thing about him that they learned with Hillary. And as I've said, if you go back and you look at the last two weeks of the Hillary 2016 campaign, Hillary goes from Gwyneth Paltrow's house in Hollywood to Michigan. Then she flies home to uh, Westchester, New York. Then she flies to a fundraiser. Then she flies back home. Then she flies to Ohio. Then she flies back home. Then she And Trump is like flying to three places in Ohio. (laughs) during all of this and that's what i mean is this 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 is a guy he's just built like fucking robocop you cannot so if there are no special circumstances involved now also you have trump out here railing against mail-in voting and this is the biggest problem with him is he has everything backwards whether he knows it or not so he he calls mail-in voting vote harvesting. He's like, don't mail-in vote. You all need to show up on the same day. Well, if you do that, you're going to fucking lose. So that's a bigger problem with him. Um, and so I, I don't doubt – I think Trump can, like, outwork Biden. That That's not something that is even a concern because that's just who the fucking guy is. He's just – he's he's a goddamn 80-year-old New Yorker. Just he's a robocop. Yeah. Um, Whatever. I'll, I'll hop off. But, but Trump's problem is, is he rails against every successful strategy that's out there simply because he lost to it last time. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. He, he, I think he's just going to find that no matter how hard he works, he's, he's just, it's just not going to move the needle. So why not just not work that hard and do, go do all the things that he isn't going to make him any much better in the polls compared to Biden. So just do it from his, from his beach house. So. Um, we'll see. I, I think Trump is a guy who will go and fly anywhere if he gets a nomination. Um, and I am also the guy that thinks that that's not going to matter at all. Uh, we'll wrap up here. John, Jacqueline, David, I'm trying to invite one speaker up, but we'll see if he takes the invite. But for now we'll go John, Jacqueline and David, John, Good to see you too, Stephen. Um, just a few things. Congrats on the 100 episodes. And since this is a milestone or something, 
and ignore the babies in the background. Um, been listening to you since conservatarian. I, I, well, I've already advocated. I've already advocated for like the Casey Anthony theory of other crying babies. So we're we're long. Yeah, past that yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know. And and uh, if my wife comes out, I, I'm I'm busy too long. I might get crowded. But um, uh, anyway, uh, uh, I was on the Uvalde. I was caller on the Uvalde episode. So I'm glad you mentioned that at the top of the show because I really think that that was when I really uh, I kind of realized. The, the worth of the Colin episode you did. That was a really good one. It, it, it's um, real fast. It's an episode to me that I think a lot of these are localized. And what I mean by that is most people don't go back and listen to them. Like if, if you're not in on them. So if you're in on these, you might send them to people and say, Hey, I was on this podcast. I was on this live podcast or whatever. But if you didn't listen to them, there's not many people unless you're in media and trying to clip something where you're going to go back and listen to it. The Uvalde episode, the, the school the school single entrance episode, to me, is one that every single person can send. They can just paste this and say, oh, you don't think the single entrance works? Listen to this. And every single person in every single corner of the country, Arkansas, California, Connecticut, Wyoming, Colorado, Florida, Every single person goes, yeah, this is how it is at our school. This is, it's a single entrance school and this is how they do it. And strictly because of school shootings. So to argue that we're doing nothing because of school shootings, actually we are, and we took it upon ourselves, and we didn't need to pass a law. It's just where the culture is. It's where the country is now. And that's, I think that that's why I love it so much. It's, it was an episode that wasn't about me. It was about other people's lived experiences that can go to people in journalism. It can go to media. It can go to anyone you debate with. You can just go, hey, I, I get that you think that this is a stupid idea, but I want you to go listen to this. Here are parents who are not in media. They're not blue checks on Twitter. Well, you might be now, fuckers. Um, you're, just, you're, just nor- you're just people living your lives, okay? You're just people doing things, right? And here is here are all of you saying, yeah, my, I dropped my kid off at a school with a single entrance, and that's how it goes. And trust me when I say that is a hundred times more powerful than anything I could ever write. I, I could write something in The Spectator. It could be written off. I could appear on Fox News. Well, you're on Fox, fucker. That could be written off. I could be on Twitter. I'm a partisan shit poster. It was the one episode where... You guys prove the power of this. You guys are literally telling the media you're all fucking wrong about this because this is what we actually do. And that is infinitely more important than anything I can write or anything that I can host or anything I can do. And so that's why it was so great. Not to, again, interrupt a monologue, um, but that's why it's so valuable. You can take that one episode and say, hey, you should go listen to this. Take it to someone who disagrees with gun control or, or who agrees with gun control or someone who says, um, well, the, the single door entry is stupid. And you can, you can send this to them and say, you need to listen to this because this policy is already in effect. Here are 17 parents, which isn't an accurate poll, but it still is, and say, um, here are 17 parents to say this is actually 
all what they're already doing. And it's not in Texas. It's not in Florida. It's also in California. It's in, it's in Los Angeles, which I know one caller did. It's in Iowa. It's in Connecticut. And that to me, I, I want to say it's satisfying. And I, I want to say that most, for the most part, what I do isn't satisfying. <laughs> I fully, I'm fully aware that I most days fighting a losing battle and that's why it was so good i didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt your monologue but that's yeah no no that to me no, is no, why that you know actually actually uh the the, the thing uh, the one thing that i i uh remember kind of uh and chuck last about that episode is um on the uh, uh next day on the podcast you mentioned that a caller on on uh on the call and had uh, mentioned that republicans uh were always were proposing new solutions in the wake of shootings uh, and, and Democrats never were, and I had happened to make that comment, and like, well, you know what, I'll, I'll take the shout out, but no, no acknowledgement, I'll, I'll stay humble. Um, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, I, I kind of had uh, two thoughts and uh, two comments, two observations, just kind of, you know, from a lie or a question and a comment. So so let me just uh, uh, do the do the thoughts real quick. Um, uh, first thing is, um, uh, I'm teaching, as you know, at a Catholic university, and I go in the bathroom uh, on uh, on Wednesday, and there is a tampon disposal unit in the men's room. And oh, great! So, Congratulations. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, so when so you know you were talking earlier about you know the Santa's thing, and this ties in with, with the the thing I was the other thing I want to talk about, which was uh, you know th- that Nikki Haley uh, thing with Disney. Um, uh, you were talking earlier about how, you know, a lot of people, you know, are really going to buy into the Santa thing against Disney. And I am, I'm in line with Michael Vernon Doherty on this stuff. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's just insane. And if it's, if it's reaching even a place where, now granted, the Jesuits aren't, aren't known for their, uh, strict Catholicism. And, uh, my institution is a little too poor to be able to, pour money into wokeism, which is the only thing holding them back. But if they're doing that, then then the fact that she's coming out like that, uh, I can only think either A, she's just so Bush-era conservative that she doesn't know what the fuck she's talking about and doesn't read the room at all, or B, she so desperately wants to be Trump's VP that she won't be teched. I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts were. I didn't get to listen to today's episode, so I don't know if you talked about it. Um, I think it's both. I like Nikki for, for for just for the record. Um, I, I like Nikki Haley. I think she would be a great president. Um, I also get the arguments against Nikki Haley, uh, and uh, whether or not I agree with them or not, people say she. One of the funniest arguments from like the Trump right, she's a neocon. I'm like, where the fuck do you get that from? <laughs> like, like one of the things like from Nikki Haley, I'm like, where. Where the fuck do you guys get the Neil ha- Nikki Haley's a neocon? And I think part of it is, like you said, she's just a pre-Trump era conservative, period. Um, one uncomfortable fact that the political right doesn't, or uh, that I think most people don't, I want to say the political right doesn't get, is that they don't like her for taking down the Confederate flag after the Dylan Roof shooting from the state house. Um People can deny that all they, excuse me, people can deny that all they want, but that's part of it. Um, th- there is that nationalist 
and I'm not going to go white nationalist. It's just, it's a nationalist, you know, Southern point of view that, you know, the stars and bars are out there. And Nikki Haley took down the state flag from the Capitol. She caved to woke culture. Um, personally, I'm glad she took down that flag because I don't like losers. That's it. The South lost, you fucking losers. That's it. Oh, yeah. Like, that, 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 it's that simple. So there's part of that. Now, the other part of Nikki Haley running in 2024 is I just genuinely believe she missed her moment. She left the governor's mansion, I think, in what, 2018? Or no, she joined Trump's administration to be the U.N. ambassador. And then she left She left that. And that's how I thought she's going to run for president. Because she's she is a governor who then uh, joins the U.N., to polish her foreign policy experience. I'm like, she's, well, she's, she's going to run for president. She has that really cool, iconic photo where she raises her hand when it was like the human rights council was trying to denounce Israel. And she was the one that spoke up and she raised her hand. I'm like, that's a great fucking photo. Um, so I don't have a problem with Nikki. I think she would be a great president. I would vote for Nikki Haley. Now let's go into what we just talked about. I think she's probably missed her moment. And what I mean by that is she was a governor. Then she goes to the Trump administration and then she is gone for a while. I think I kind of put Nikki Haley in the same focus of Trump over the last three years, where I think the moment has passed both her and Trump by. And I may write more on this, but over the last two to three years, the the face of the culture wars has mostly been uh, DeSantis, Kemp, Noam over gender issues, critical race theory issues, over COVID issues. And so I look at, I wasn't surprised by Haley's candidacy. Now, I said today on the podcast, and I stand by this, I think she nuked her campaign two days ago with the Disney stance. Um, I, I, and whether or not you agree with it is beside the point. I think she is out of touch with where the conservative base is. And I do think there is such a thing as wartime conservatism and peacetime conservatism. Nikki Haley to me is a peacetime conservatism candidate. She is a, she is a Mitt Romney style conservative, which is perfectly acceptable, can, can maybe unite the clans, piss off the extremists or whatever. Um, do I think Nikki Haley could beat Joe Biden? Yes. hundred percent. I think she could. If she was a nominee, hundred percent. I think it's just one bad timing Two, she's out of touch. Uh, what John said, she feels like a pre Trump era Republican. Now there is an appetite for that. It's not a big one, maybe three, 4%. I'm one of those people I recognize kind of the joker. We're never going back. Ever. Like you've changed things forever. That's where I'm at. So no, we're not going to nominate anybody who is a pre-Trump thinking conservative. Now, does that mean that every person who's nominated from here on out is pro-Trump or Trumpism? No, absolutely not. And to prove it, look at the Florida governor. This is someone who doesn't really take on Trump policies this is someone who is just more accurate with the media and someone who is more skilled at assembling arguments against what the media is throwing at him. That's DeSantis' strength. 
Um, one thing that's interesting to me, and I haven't played this clip on my podcast, is he has a conversation with Benny Johnson. I don't like Benny Johnson. I, I put I throw Benny Johnson in the same pile of bones as Steven Crowder. But DeSantis talks about trans women in sports, and DeSantis not only names Leah Thomas, he names the actual race that Leah Thomas raced in, like the 500 meter. He names the college. He names the actual case. And to me, that's the strength. It's not that you're honed in on the issue. It's that you know the details of the issue. Now, if I were to go to Nikki Haley and I were to say, who's Leah Thomas? Nikki Haley might be able to tell me who, who Leah Thomas is. But if I were to say, okay, how did Leah Thomas happen? What race and what college did Leah Thomas go in? Do I think Nikki Haley knows that? I don't know. And to me, this is getting to the heart of all of this debate. To say that you cannot be involved in culture wars, and this is where I do reject the older orthodoxy of conservative pundits who say um, you're, you're just in culture wars. Guys, you're the ones who ceded the culture to these people. You're the ones that forced us to now fight these culture wars in the 90s, in the 2000s. You could argue Reagan in the 80s. This is how we got here, you fucks. <laughs> Not to be rude, but this is where I'm sitting here saying, guys, we have to fight these wars now because you didn't. And, you know, I, I look at the gender war and I look at the critical race theory war. And I guess I would say, yeah, I'm getting more and more radicalized by it. I'm not radicalized. I do think if you erase gender, th this is a step toward cultural and racial Marxism that you don't come back from. It's you're erasing identity. You're erasing accomplishment. You're erasing history. Um and I do think that there is a proactive campaign to do these things. And if you're not in touch with that, if you're not someone who at least recognizes it, I'm not asking Ron DeSantis to run on trans women in, in sports. But if you don't at least acknowledge that this is a fucking problem, that this is something that's going to get out of hand real fast, then I don't think that the GOP pace is interested in you. And I think that that's Nikki Haley's problem. Nikki Haley feels like a perfect ruddy mate for Paul Ryan. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, think about where we could be, okay? Go back to 2012. Let's say Mitt Romney wins the Republican, not he, well, he does, but let's say he wins the presidency. Mitt Romney went from 2012, he's president to 2016. Let's say Mitt Romney then runs against Hillary Clinton in 2016 with Paul Ryan as the running mate. Let's say Mitt Romney wins. You have Mitt Romney now 2016 to 2020. He's termed out. So now you have Paul Ryan running for the GOP nominee versus who? Your guess is as good as mine. My point is, is that this is a very different country than the one that Nikki Haley thinks or wants it to be. Because to me, 
if Paul Ryan was now running for president in 2020, Nikki Haley would be the perfect VP nominee for her, for him in this kind of country. Hey, guess what? We are literally living in the Back to the Future 2 Biff, Biff's Almanac. <laughs> Biff, Trump controlled Trump Tower, the White House. That's the alternate reality we're living in. And I don't think Nikki Haley gets that. So not yeah. to monologue or anything, but that's... I like Nikki Haley. I would vote for Nikki Haley. I think she would be an incredible president. Her, I would put her along the lines of Condoleezza Rice, of people who just, who, who missed their moment. And I don't think Haley or her people understand the moment we're in, where when you come out and you say, Disney, come to my state. Well, Nikki Haley, you're not governor anymore. That's the first problem. Two, um, I'm not all on board with grooming. That's not who I am. I do I do accept the fact that there is a section of Disney and producers who are trying to do that. Do I think that this is an all-in grooming scheme, you know, eyes wide shut, Jeffrey Epstein? No, I don't think that. No, I don't. Um, but you have them on tape, as DeSantis's war room proved, of them being like, hey, look, I'm trying to introduce queerness into anything I can. Look, I don't care about that. I'm if Disney wants to like just make every single one of their films like queerness and gay, go do it. As long as it's a good story, I'll watch it. I don't give a fuck, whatever. Um, and this is where I kind of get off the, the right wing train of grooming is look. Yes. I, I don't agree with drag queen story hour in public schools. Um, if a restaurant wants to host a drag queen brunch, I don't give a fuck. It's a private business. Don't take your kid there. And no, we should not be trying to ban that. Um, but to get back to what you were saying, John, and my original point is, um, I don't think Haley understands the moment. And I do think that DeSantis is someone who does. And we, this is a conservative party and a Republican party that understands that the culture war is how you advance shit. And anyone who disagrees with that, I would look at it and I would say the Democratic Party has been doing nothing but culture warring for 35 years. Get in the fucking fight. No, yeah, exactly. And I, I agree with pretty much the entire analysis. Um, and I know you and I aren't exactly on the same page with all the social issues and whatnot. But one thing I appreciate about you is that you say where you're coming from. And that you acknowledge, you know, where you disagree with, you know, the social conservatives and where you agree. And and where we agree is 100%. I, I, the, the one thing that I'm not sure about, you know, with, with the Trump thing is I was listening to the commentary podcast uh, earlier uh, today. It was from like a day or two ago. And they were just assuming that, just, you know, Trump, Trump can just, you know, you know, Trump can, can anti-woke just as well as DeSantis. DeSantis has, doesn't have an advantage there. And I just don't know if that's true. Um, uh, it, it seems to me that the, that, that the, uh, that what Tucker, Tucker's speech at Heritage, and I saw something that, uh, Brendan Doherty shared on Twitter. It's a, that Vandy Fair piece that was saying that Murdoch let, uh, Tucker go because, uh, Tucker was like reading the Bible with Murdoch's fiance and fuck, it's 92. 
Like, what the fuck do you do when you're getting, like, a rage hero? Like, you can get engaged with somebody? That's weird. But, uh, but then, like, but nonetheless, like, Tucker was talking about the culture war. He was talking about that. And it doesn't have to be banning drag shows completely. But it does have to be taking the culture war issues seriously. And I really like the way you put it, that the right has not been fighting the war for, you know, for 30-odd years or fighting it seriously in a political way. It's just kind of, you know, reaction, reacting to leftist uh, tendencies here and there, and then suddenly we get to re- re- just obliterating fundamental concepts like gender. Reacting, reacting is a is a perfect way of putting that. I think that I think the political right is tired; they are exhausted of reacting to attacks. And the commenter today on my podcast who said Chick Fil A, perfect example. Chick Fil A. I'm just going to open a restaurant in New York. The mayor of New York's like, no, you're not. Fuck off. You're Christian. You hate gays. Wait, what? No, we serve anyone. Like anyone who walks into our restaurant, um, we're we're going to serve you. No, get the fuck out of here. And then we're being told, and respectfully, I I do I I do like and I appreciate someone like David French. They basically say, no, you have to accept them. They, they that's okay. New York can kick Chick-fil-A out of New York. And it's like, yeah, constitutionally, but fuck you. Like, like, why do we have to accept this? And then you have Hobby Lobby, who gets sued by the Obama administration. And it's like, we're supposed to just take that? Like, here's a company with a policy. And then here comes the Obama, here comes Barack Obama walking into, into fucking Hobby Lobby. And no, he's. Uh, pine cones or whatever, and we're supposed to take that. And this, to me, is DeSantis' strength: is that he's the he's the first Republican. I really do think this. He's the first Republican governor of a state to stand up and go, "We're not going to fucking take this." We passed a law. We passed a law that said we're not going to allow gender queer to be in the public fucking library of schools for third graders. This, this to me is DeSantis's power is he somehow reflexively made the political left take the opposite position of what he has, no matter what it is. So DeSantis looks at gender. He looks at gender queer book. Okay. Now, I'm a pretty libertarian guy. I love showgirls. Like I, I'm not someone who is like um, sexually timid in sense of pornography or books or I don't care about any of that stuff. But I'm also one of those guys where if you ask me point blank, if you show me this book and you open the spread like a mad magazine and you go, hey, here's a kid giving another kid a blowjob. Do you think third graders should see this? I'm probably going to reflexively go, no. Like, why? Why? No, I mean, fine, but why? No, third grade? What? No, I don't know. Why is that book in a library? <laughs> and so I look and that's so I'm not a prude. I'm not a social conservative. I'm a guy who became a conservative over Tipper Gore's ban on heavy metal lyrics. Like, Satan's cool. I love Satan. Satan rocks. 
Um, Jesus is also cool because Jesus is a winner and that's all there is to it. But I look at it and I'm like, okay, so Ron DeSantis says, we're getting rid of this book that shows illustrations of blowjobs and the political left is like, you're Hitler. And I'm kind of like, what? No, no, he's not. And so this is the thing about the whole gender affirming care thing. Uh, to this day, I don't know how DeSantis got them to defend this because DeSantis was the first governor to come out and say, oh, you want to give you want you want to give breast surgery to minors? No, we're not going along with that. I think most normies agree with that position. Most non-political normies agree that if you're under 18, you don't get to just decide that I want my breast chopped off. Which is, that's what was so funny. Rachel Levine's division was called CHOP. Holy shit. Dude, so really? He got that. them to actually defend that position. And that's where we are. That's how we got here. And so, to me, any Republican, Haley, Trump, Tim Scott, Asia Hutchinson, who is not weighing in on this, you're missing the boat. You're not going to be the nominee. There's a reason why Ron DeSantis is polling 10 points behind Trump and who will probably be pulling ahead of him when he jumps in because he's the only guy just going, are you fucking people crazy? That to me should just be the campaign <laughs> like transgender surgery for 12 year olds. Are you fucking people crazy? DeSantis 2024. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I, I think, I think that's, that's, that's right on. And uh, I just wanted to end just uh, to let, uh... Uh, Jacqueline and uh, I know David's been in and out of the queue, uh, but I just, I just thought I'd end with a thing where I, I had I had a Red Seas moment this week, where um, uh, I uh, I went to a, I went to a show a, a buddy a buddy took me to a show it was uh, Molchat Dome I don't know if you know them they're uh, they're kind of this Belarusian post punk dance New Order Joy Division group and i i messaged uh john gabriel about them after he knew them he said he didn't he didn't but it was it was, it was good but i i went to the show and i felt friggin old because it, there was a just it was like 50 percent zoomers and the weirdest thing was there was a person there was a girl there who came up to me and said hey you were my professor Wow, I didn't know I would see I wouldn't see anyone like you here. And, Did you leave? All I said to her was, That's where you leave. No, 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 no. Uh, no there was a Gen X guy uh, who was uh, wearing a My Bloody Valentine t-shirt and just like standing against like the wall the whole time. Uh, and then like three quarters of the show, he just left. But I, 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 I had to wait on my ride. So I just said to her, uh, well, I, I'm glad to know that my students actually have good taste in music. So uh, anyway, um, uh, that just reminded me of your, your Minsky story. Uh, so anyway, uh, Stephen, uh, uh, congrats on 100. Um, keep, the, uh, keep the podcast going. Keep the, uh, the calling going. It's awesome, brother. And uh, I'll talk to you again. Uh, John, thank you. And uh, jo John, when, when I had to do the Nashville shooting call, and John was one of the first people I thought of because I know he does. He's a pastor and he does teaching it religion christian schooling and so i was kind of i don't i don't remember off the top of my head he showed up for but he was one of the people i thought of um jacqueline if you're gonna hold off i'm gonna make you last i think that that's proper 
David, I know David's been dropping in and out here, so here we go. I'm trying to invite one other person uh, to speak, but we're seeing if that works out. Oh, hey, while we're waiting for David, I just had a Frenchie throw up. Was that was that the pencil? Maybe you should have eaten that. Oh, did we just throw up everything? We did, didn't we? Yep, we did. Hey, Hello? cool. I know which Frenchie ate the pencil. Sorry, David, go ahead. <laughs> You're going to have to pardon me. <laughs> yep, there she goes. Oh, no. So... No, so here, so just to, just to just before David speaks, just so I I had this pencil with this, like this really cool. It's this metal axe pencil sharpener, so it looks like it's an axe handle. And the pencil rolled on the floor while I was doing the podcast, and I just thought, whatever, I'll get it later. Then I went away. I I, I ran an errand, and I came home, and I had these wooden shards all over the fucking floor. And then I realized, holy shit, the fucking mischief gremlins ate the pencil and so that's what i led this podcast off with and of course i don't know which of them did it could have been one it could have been either it could have been one of them and so i called the vet and i said hey is this a problem because i think i have three-fourths of a pencil here with some graphite and some lead and that's my worry obviously um if my dog eats lead, they're going to the vet or splinters or whatever. And so I gave this warning at the beginning of the fucking podcast that I'm going to have to punish them. Like, you don't eat fucking pencils off the floor, and I'll know which one to punish based on who vomits. Well, guess what? The princess, yeah, you, she just threw up. So I get. I don't think we're going to the vet. The other one just ran and hid under the bed. He's the best behaved one in the house, by the way. Um, she just threw up. So I guess I know which one ate the pencil. So I think we're fine. We're not going anywhere. Oh, now she's getting up. We, yeah. You going to eat that again? You going to re-eat the pencil? Sorry. This has been fun. David, (laughs) this literally happened as I was bringing you up. So, um, yeah. So I I know which one ate the fucking pencil now. There we go. It's funny as you were bringing me up, the Panthers just scored a goal in late in the third co- in the third period to go up on the. On the yeah. Bruins. Oh so. shit! So what's the score in the Bruins? I've obviously been on here with you. I don't have TV. I'm not even watching the draft. I, I don't even think the Broncos pick until Wednesday. So, <laughs> um, so what's the Bruins Panthers at? Six five. Two minutes left in the third. Panthers. Panthers. Oh, this is gonna be fun. Yeah, that's great. I know my Avalanche are, are probably going to be eliminated tonight, so I'm not even concerned about that. So, uh, goodness, but uh, no, I wanted to get on um, on. Uh, I had a couple of things I wanted to talk about. The Biden theory. I kind of had this before, like in 2020 when he was running. I kind of saw if he had won, and I thought this to myself then: uh, if he had won in 2020, which he did, and. Um, he would have he would have stepped down after them, and I thought this he would have stepped down after they're getting clobbered in the midterms. Well, that didn't happen. Oh, he just missed an open net. Um, <laughs> um, David, if I'm not focused on my avalanche, I need you to focus on this call right now. <laughs> I, need you, I need you to focus. I need you to turn the TV off and focus. 
Anyway, there's um, people depending on yeah. you, Ray. Yeah. Um, he, let's see, he jumps off of, um, I thought he was going to resign after the midterms, and that didn't happen because he kind of won the, the, the midterms. However, I do see, like, maybe he kind of has Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, like, in his back pocket where she might, where he might resign late into 2023, and he just gives, kind of gives uh, Kamala, Kamala the, the, the reins if DeSantis does win the primary, which it, it does seem like a lot of people don't want, um, don't want him to run in that party. They, 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 they come up with all these heat pisses, heat pisses that is, uh, that he, um, he can't run. He can't, he's failing. He's failing. He's failing. Meanwhile, he's, he's polling pretty even. He's polling pretty great, uh, for a guy who hasn't uh, announced or anything like that. But I, I don't um, think that yeah. that's the scenario. I, 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 I really, really, really try not to dabble in things that are fantastical. If that would, and and when and oh, there was one. Oh, I guess we know that that's you. Sorry, um, I really try to not dabble in things that are too fantastic. And, and what I mean by that is like, um, could Ted Cruz win the twenty twenty four nomination? No, like no. that's what I mean. I will never make a case for that. Or Chris Christie, I try to dab. If I if I dabble in theory, I, I try to dabble in things that I foresee possibly happening based on what's happened in the past. I, I try to look at things in the future just strictly based on a pattern of behavior or a pattern of proof or whatever. And so, no, I I don't see Biden stepping aside. Unless there is like a serious health complication, or he fucking dies, which mm-hmm. don't do not get me wrong is a complete <laughs> possibility. I said this in the podcast. He's eighty years old. There, there's a there is a legitimate concern that we're going to have this call in. We're going to hang up. We're going to go to bed tomorrow, and then we all wake up tomorrow, and it's breaking on Twitter that Joe Biden died of a stroke in his sleep. That that is a real possibility. That that is not me wish casting. It's not any. That is an actual possibility, and I actually think most people would just shrug. They would just go, "Yeah, of course we fucking knew that was going to happen." The, the, the dude's gone. Um, so no, I don't think that it's a campaign possibility. Everything that I said today on the podcast is based on proof or stories that are leaking about one um, White House is frustrated that he's not available. He's only available three days a week for, for eight hours. There's a reason why, because cognitively he struggles and he can't do it or he's old. He's just fucking old. <laughs> Anyone who has an 80 year old grandparent, just you can go visit them and then say, so what if you were president? Like, it's that simple. This isn't discrimination. This isn't ableism. This isn't (laughs) ageism. It's just, holy fuck, he's fucking old. There was a clip of him walking with the South Korean president, and he wasn't there. And I haven't tweeted about it. I've sent it to people in text. um, Because, I, I believe it or not, I'm cognitive of this stuff. I'm like, you have 
to kind of pick and choose like, dude, he's fine. No, he's, he's okay. And when he's walking with the South Korean president, he's not there. He's looking up. He's looking around. They're having to tell him where to walk. This is something that is like completely uh, obvious to people. And so I look at this and I go, I don't think it's 2023. Um, I, I, Look at this based on where Axios Punchbowl Politico is telling us, and for everything they're telling us, and even the White House, they're saying he's not going to serve a full second term. The goal to me right now looks like get him elected, have him set up the base, and then hand it off to to Kamala, and they're going to hand it off in a way that is not resigning the presidency in a disgraceful way, like say Nixon did. It's an honorable signing off, which means he signs off, she's sworn in, we have an equity inauguration about the first black female president, and it will drive the political right absolutely fucking crazy. And if there's one thing that I wish I could tell them, if I had the power, it's, look, it's constitutional. They can do that. Biden can absolutely 100% do this. Kamala Harris would then legitimately be the president of the United States, legitimately be the president. You cannot argue against it if you believe in the Constitution. And I know the political right wouldn't do that. I 100% foresee an environment <laughs> to where they declare her not legitimate and they are counting on that. And so I guess what I would say is that the White House, this White House and this media which they did this week, are signaling to make Kamala the focus of this campaign. Do it. D- get out of the way. Let let them make a vice president with a 68% disapproval rating the face of this campaign. Just get out of the way and make sure that Biden doesn't win. Well, how does Biden win? Well, if you guys nominate Trump, polling suggests that odds are Trump wins. This, to me, also says if Biden runs this campaign as Kamala Harris is the de facto candidate, Trump wins in a landslide. Trump will be the next president because I don't think this country wants Kamala. And sorry to monologue. Yeah, and uh, another thing I had, uh, it does seem like there might be a shift in momentum in the culture war battles. Have you noticed the last couple of things? It seems like we like conservatives have, have kind of like uh, in a small way have tilted um, towards winning this culture war. You get the thing, DeSantis and Disney, you got um, the Bud Light thing, the executive like, like uh, was suspended for a couple weeks. And then another thing, it does seem like the NHL is about to drop their pride nights and, you know, which, Really, I don't really care for it, but it does seem like uh, a lot of players don't like it, and they don't like being forced to do that. And it doesn't seem like it seems like the NHL is listening to some of those players there who don't want to be forced on on those things. Um, but I, I think you're never losing or winning the culture war as much as you think you are. Mm-hmm. And I know that that answer doesn't satisfy anybody. Um, the Bud Light thing is genuinely shocking to me. It's genuinely shocking that they did it. It's genuinely shocking that it cost them this much money. 
it's genuinely shocking that they relieve the executives. Um, Dylan Mulvaney came out, and I was I was going to go into this on the podcast, but I'm just like, I'm so fucking sick of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he said that it should be illegal to misgender. And I don't care what Dylan Mulvaney says. I care that Dylan Mulvaney interviewed the President of the United States. And that the president. So my my question would be to Karee Jean Pierre. I don't fucking care about Dylan Mulvaney. What I care is that when Dylan Mulvaney, who he ha, he interviewed Joe Biden, okay, he interviewed Joe Biden. So now I say to them, to the White House, you had someone interview you, who now says it should be illegal to misgender them. Do you and the president agree? I would love to hear that answer. I would love to hear that answer from them. Do you agree that it should be illegal to misgender? You, of course, don't have a single person in the White House press corps who will answer that for for good reason. So I'm one of these people where do I think you're winning or losing the culture war? Bud Light is an unquestionable win. Except... Now you have assholes like selling their own beer and you have James O'Keefe. So, I mean, this this, this is kind of getting more personal than I'd like, but I'll go there. I don't know if you saw it or not, but James O'Keefe, who's now he's, he's no longer Veritas. And as I've stated before, I'm under an NDA with Veritas from years and years and years and years ago. Um, But, in the midst of all this, Dylan Mulvaney is staying at a hotel in New York City. And then James O'Keefe shows up in the lobby with a microphone and an iPad. And he's asking Dylan Mulvaney, hey, this person raped a person in a locker room. Do you agree with this? And I guess that that's where I get, that's where I stop. I'm like, you guys, you, you had, you got to win. You fucking unquestionably won this. Like, <laughs> fucking Kid Rock shot up a case of Bud Light with an AR-15, and most people were like, I can understand that. That's acceptable. (laughs) Sure. So then you have James O'Keefe, and I'm just going to say it for what it is, harassing Dylan Mulvaney in the hotel lobby of his hotel. No, I don't use Dylan Mulvaney's pronouns. Dylan Mulvaney is a man. But I look at this and I go, you're turning Mulvaney into the victim here. You really are. Like, this is where I plead and want progress or I'm sorry, conservative media to take the win. You won this. You don't need James O'Keefe with a microphone waiting in the hotel lobby. So when Dylan Mulvaney comes strutting in, you go, do you agree with the fucking fact that a, a dude raped a girl in a hotel uh, restroom and he had a penis and he's Buffalo Bill? You don't look good there. The goal should be to convince people. All When you do that, all you're doing is reinforcing your own side. And so, I don't know. I guess I look at culture wars and I say, you're, not, you're never winning, you're never losing. The Bud Light thing was an unquestionable win. And then James O'Keefe goes and, you know, stands in the elevator and shoves a microphone in Dylan Mulvaney's face. Now you make Dylan Mulvaney look like a victim. And I'm a guy who doesn't agree with anything to do with Dylan Mulvaney. I'm a guy who simply looks at the situation and I'm like, what are you doing? Take the, take the W here. (laughs) 
you won this. You, this was a genuine win. Bud Light, like, had to issue a statement. They're now in damage control mode. They uh, sent two executives on vacation. We don't need James O'Keefe bopping Dylan Mulvaney over the head of the microphone. Dylan Mulvaney is not the problem. And, and, and I want people to be very clear about this. Dylan Mulvaney is who, who he is. He's not the problem. The problem is corporate uh, um, endorsements of him. That's the problem. Keep your eye on the bigger picture. Do not go after D- Dylan Mulvaney. You go after the corporations who are embracing Dylan Mulvaney. And that's kind of how, what's funny about this is this is the same label that got me anti-anti-Trump. Um, yeah, I don't like Trump the same way I don't like Dylan Mulvaney. I'm more interested in the people who create the circumstances for Donald Trump to exist. Bill Kristol, Charlie Sykes, those people, NBC, Morning Joe, Saturday Night Live, Jeb Zucker, CNN. Those are the people I'm concerned about. And so, yeah, I mean, the culture war thing, there are things that are legitimate culture war. There are things that are not. I do think the gender war, the gender argument, the gender theory is a, is a legitimate issue because you're erasing individuality. The goal is to erase womanhood. We're not erasing manhood. There are no trans men jumping into the NFL, okay? You're erasing individuality. Once you erase individuality, you make everybody part of the hive. You make everybody part of the system. And once you do that, you've achieved cultural Marxism. And that, to me, is why this has to be stopped. Dead in his tracks. I, I don't care about trans people. Um, I, I have trans friends. I've had them for years. Um, this is not about that. This is about the activism and the political activism to redefine medical treatment, which is permanent, by the way. It's the permanent treatment of People who may or may not think that they are trans, who are maybe too young to understand who and what they are. That to me is a debate. And so, again, not to monologue and to go back to what David said about the culture wars, I don't think you're ever winning or losing. And this this is kind of the Batmanism is you get up every day, you get on, you, you pick your fights. Some things are more important than others. Um, there, there are definitely things that I think that aren't important, um, like movie roles. Kate Blanchett played Bob Dylan. Is that an attack on culture? No, I don't give a shit. That's art to me. Um, are we going to erase bathrooms and locker rooms in public schools? Yeah, that's a problem to me. I think that that's, that is something that should be addressed. And so the, the culture work question is interesting. I just I, I don't think that it's something that you're ever winning or losing. It's something that is going to continue to happen. That said, I think that the Republican politician that taps into it and doesn't just speak to it, just doesn't talk about it, but the politician that understands it is probably going to be the one that... Yes. Um... Yeah, once again with the with the culture war, uh, as soon as it's like when you're talking about picking your fights, it's one thing to 
have a pride night and your team's wearing a jersey, whatever, you watch the game, you, you go home and you're not. It's when it's when they go on offense and make you make the player wear the jersey or make the fan wear the jersey or or else the big it's like uh, like we saw here in the in the NHL. That is where I saw like pushback to that type of illiberalism. Um, yeah, this year. That's where I thought, okay, maybe there's a there's a tide, and maybe the NHL's going to dial this back because I, I think I think you're partly right. The thing where the NHL hedge is they didn't make the players wear them. Right. Now, I I said fully on my podcast that if the NHL punished Provorov or any player, that I was done, and I'm yeah. I'm done. I'm, I will not watch playoffs. I will not watch hockey anymore, or whatever. And they didn't do it because the NHL came out and said, well, it's the player's choice. And this this is the whole contradiction. If the NHL, if they say hockey is for everyone, um, then it's for everyone. And that includes LGBTQ people. Great. Let, awesome. Like, I, I, I want more gay people to play hockey. Like, seriously. Like, who cares? But that also includes Orthodox Christians. So if it's hockey is for everyone, then it's also for Orthodox Christians. And so, yeah, if the NHL then takes action on Provorov or anybody else, you're proving that it's not for everyone. And so I do give credit to the NHL for at least saying, okay, we, we respect this decision, despite the fact that 97% of hockey writers came out and said, this is bigotry. And so you're right in when they said that the NHL is probably going to get rid of this stuff. The fact that you made it, and I think it was Neon Blum, I think it was Neon Taser who said this, that once you said, hey, here's Pride Night, great, let's go. Then, then the fact that you, that you said we're going to punish people for not doing it, you made it less about pride and more about punishment. And I think that there's a lot to that is – um, great. I, I like. Hey, I, I, I have. I, I captain a hockey team. Okay, I captain a beer league hockey team. I have seventy people on my team, and I have one girl on the team who actually does dress and un, uh, and undress in the locker room. No, there's no nudity. My point is that there are guys who do it, and she doesn't care. Like, so there's guys who get undressed and they walk into the, and they go and get in the shower or whatever. Um. My point is, is that we don't fucking care. I have 17 guys on my hockey team. I do not know the sexuality of any of them. And some of them really suck. I have five guys that really no, they suck at hockey. Just so we're clear. <laughs> and, <laughs> I know how, I'm just doing this for Media Matters, by the way, because Media Matters is going to fucking clip that. No. Um, my point is, is that we don't care. We we, we literally, I, we don't give a shit. But then when you come out and you tell us that you need to give a shit and that we're going to force you to give a shit, that's the same pushback where we go, why? I'm not a bigot. I, I, no, this is the same exact pushback with Robert Kennedy, which is bringing this whole podcast back to where it started, which is, I don't agree with Robert Kennedy. He's fucking batshit crazy. But when you bring him on your show... And then you censor him. People like me go, why are you censoring him? Like, why? Like, 
like, why not just let him speak and then you, um, you counteract what he's saying? And so it, it has this adverse effect that when you force people to take a position that's not what your activist position is, of course they're going to push back. And that's kind of the moment we're in. And going back to what you said kind of about presidentially, there's kind of only one guy out there who's like, no, we don't care if you're gay. This isn't a law that says don't say gay. You can you can marry whomever you want, whatever. But no, we're not going to let you put pornography in grade school. Why not? You're you're Hitler now. And then he pushes back. And that's the reason that that guy is polling at 48 percent and Nikki Haley's at five. So, David. Yep. And uh, another thing with uh, with DeSantis, uh, I was listening to that Chris Christie uh, interview with uh, the Ruthless podcast, and um, he said a lot of bullshit uh, there. But one thing I kind of like I kind of agree with him on is that nobody's really hit Trump aggressively. Like they'll 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 give a little soft jab, but nobody's really hit Trump hard and. Christie kept saying that he was going to be the guy who does that, which is crazy. Why didn't he um, do it in 2016? <laughs> exactly. Christie's toast. And, uh, Christie is a non-factor. I, to me, yeah. I view Chris Christie as someone who is angling for a job in his second Trump term as Attorney General, which is what Christie was trying to do in his first Trump term. Except, <laughs> like I said, go back and Google the history of Chris Christie and the Kushner family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, a lot, and then also works for works for Disney, and then um, but yeah, he said something that was kind of interesting of amongst all that bullshit is that nobody's really hit Trump aggressively. Um, nobody's really called him out on his infidelity. They haven't really called him like Republicans haven't called him out on his infidelity. Um, he, they haven't really gotten dirty with Trump or played the game that he. I don't does. like they'll be soft with him. I don't think that any of that matters. I think that to what 2016 revealed is that Trump's infidelity doesn't matter. Trump's questionable ethics don't matter because, and this is something that David French is actually accurate about, look at the evangelical right. So the evangelicals in 2016 supported Trump over anyone else, despite the fact that Trump has had three marriages, several mistresses. He's appeared on the cover of Playboy. But Trump then when said, I will hold, uh, I will help upheld a pro-life position over Hillary Clinton. And that's why they supported Trump. And then now you look, Trump had a presidency where he appoints Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and Barrett, and Roe v. Wade gets overturned. This is the craziest thing about me. This is a this is maybe the best conservative victory in fifty years, and Trump wants nothing to do with it. Yeah. But this is this is my this is kind of the problem with David French's argument, is that uh, someone like David says evangelicals are at fault for supporting Trump, and he has a point. He's I I think he's more right on this than he's wrong, or what people fault him for. But the the evangelical reasoning for it is Trump will appoint pro-life judges, and he did, and Roe v. Wade gets overturned. My problem there is if that is your issue, then why does David French or whomever not give Trump the credit where it's deserved? 
Now, the, the problem here is you now have Ron DeSantis who signed a six-week abortion ban in Florida. So he's actually to the right of Trump. So now it's, is Ron DeSantis too extreme for David French and evangelicals? I guess we'll find out. And this is, this is kind of Trump's problem is anyone who runs to the right of him, whether it's Roe v. Wade, whether it's pro-life, whether it's vaccines, whether it's fire Fauci, that's a problem for him. And that's why Donald Trump is going after DeSantis more than he's paying attention to Nikki Haley. Yeah, guns as well. Gun, to the right, uh, DeSantis has now put himself in a position with the uh, constitutional carry in Florida to also attack Trump on guns. What he's done the last like couple months legislatively in Florida is he's kind of like like set himself up to for a rebuttal for oh you can't challenge me on this because I did this in Florida I even gave te- teachers a pay raise and that's a that's a more of a general election type of thing uh, when Biden does eventually attack DeSantis on. You know, something about teachers unions. Oh, you, you, you don't support the teachers. No, I gave them a race twice. Um, yeah. But, yeah, he's he's been setting up. He's been, like, marking off his boxes for the last couple months that uh, ever since he's gotten, well, probably since l- late last year. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he attacks them. Uh, you can't, you have to come at them from the right. You can't come them up. Uh, from the left, like you can't be David French. You can't attack him like David French. You have to attack him like in a in a unique way that we haven't seen yet. So, uh, yeah, I agree, and, and I still for everyone complaining about uh, DeSantis is just hanging back. I, I think you guys are going to be surprised. So, yeah. uh, David, thank you. Thank you. Go Panthers. I'm kind of rooting for the Panthers too, but, but Boston is um, my uh, my thing. So before I take Jacqueline, I'll bring Jacqueline up. But before I bring Jacqueline, I brought up a co. <clears throat> so co-speaker, can you uh, unmute your microphone for me and tell everyone in this room who you are? Am I still supposed to wait? Uh, you can talk. Go ahead, Jacqueline. Okay. Um, oh, hold on. There he is. <laughs> no, hold on. Oh, okay. All right. I'll mute we'll, now. We'll do this. Hi, Mike. Uh, hi there, Stephen. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, I've known Stephen since the day he was born, and I couldn't be prouder of him. Oh, great. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. There he is. There's comments, Papa Steez. So, well, well, you're on. You're sharing the room. Go ahead. No, I'm. I'm uh, very much enjoying listening and uh, uh, listening to your responses to the viewpoints of, of your uh, regular callers, and and uh, I'd like to just keep doing that. 
No, well, no, you're co-speaking. So um, for, for, for anyone listening, if anyone knows where my political acumen came from, it came from sitting in this guy's fucking car at 5 a.m. in December in Colorado listening to like like public radio on Rush Limbaugh before I had to go into hockey practice, which was miserable, by the way. So if anybody want to know where I got my political acumen come, here it is. So you might as well talk. Well, not not only some NPR, which I've outgrown, but uh, uh, Rush Limbaugh and Paul Harvey and, and all the rest, as, as I've spent uh, 50 years as an outside salesman selling industrial products. So I was in the car an awful lot, and uh, fortunately, the radio worked, and I, and I listened and uh, enjoyed it, and uh, I'll... Uh, I'll, I'll take whatever responsibility for your political positions uh, as appropriate. So a funny, so, so while, so while we're here, yeah, Paul Harvey was good. Paul Harvey is one of those things where you go back when you're a kid and your father is just indoctrinating you on him. <laughs> you, you go back and you listen to him and you're like, yeah, like Paul Harvey was just a fucking genius. So, if you guys want a story, uh, here, here's Papa Steve's or whatever. Uh, uh, Dad's, and I'm going to put him on the spot here, by the way. You're not getting off the hook. Um, <laughs> my pops here was a full born on 2016 Trump guy. And he lived in Denver, Colorado at the time. And I lived in New York city and I had a, and I was working for national review when never Trump came out. And I actually, when I came back to Denver for a trip, it, was for, it might've been for like a reunion or I don't know what it was. I presented him with a copy of never Trump from national review. And so as someone who was a, avid Trump guy, where are you now? Are you over Trump or are you ready to move on to a DeSantis or what's going on? I think I'm a DeSantis guy. Uh, I, I, uh, yes, oh. I, I, I supported, I supported Donald Trump, not so much because I supported Trump, but I was absolutely and unalterably opposed to, uh, our, our good friend, Mrs. Clinton. Uh, and, and I'm at my age, uh, I, I, I was, I was alive during, let me see the Truman administration, the Eisenhower administration, the Kennedy, the Johnson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, and personally, I, I think that the Clintons were, were, uh, perhaps the most corrupt of any of them. And, and, uh, I, I was going to do anything I could just as an individual voter, uh, to, uh, make sure she didn't win the election. Um, but I, but I'm a DeSantis guy now. I, I, I like Donald Trump. I like the fact that he, as an outsider, won the 2016 election again against uh, Mrs. Trump, or excuse me, against Mrs. Clinton. But I, th I, I think his flame throwing uh, uh, language is just turning people off, and and I'm and I'm less concerned about uh, who we elect in which Republican we elect in 2024 as I am in making sure that we elect a Republican in 24. And I think that, uh, I think that uh, Mr. Trump's uh, language and rhetoric is just going to turn people away. I don't think they'll vote for the Democrat, whether it's Biden or someone else, but I think they'll stay home and they'll give the election to the Democrat. 
Was there, okay, so was there a specific moment or was there something, is it Trump's attacks on DeSantis where you're just kind of like, I don't like this? Or was it just DeSantis picking the right battles and you going, yep, that's, he's right or whatever. So, so uh, which is, are you just, are you just, you just have Trump fatigue because that's an actual thing. So is it just Trump fatigue and move on or is it DeSantis knows the better I think I think it's a combination of both. Uh, I I think if if uh, Donald Trump were to spend more time uh, dealing with the issues and the and the and the faults and phoniness of the Biden administration, uh, I think people like me would would still probably support him, especially if he gets the nomination. But but at this point, uh, I I think I think it's it's. Uh, uh, I think he's misguided, and, and who am I to say about what this guy can or cannot do? But I think he's misguided in focusing so much on DeSantis when when the real opponent uh, is the Democrat, whoever that's going to be. Um, I, I legally cannot disagree with any of this. As this is my father. <laughs> so, and, and we and we talk about this stuff regularly. Um, so, but it, it is, it was funny. Like in 2016, I gave him the, I gave him the never Trump issue of national review. And what's funny is, is my, uh, my pops here was kind of like, he's going to win. He's going to win. He's going to win. And when I was in uh, Utah on election night for Evan, I was, fl- I was literally flown to Salt Lake city to cover El- Evan McMullen's uh, election night party. I was, uh, for those of you who don't know, I was standing literally next to Louise Mench and Rick Wilson when it was announced that Donald Trump had won <laughs> the Republican nomination. And here I had this guy sending me texts going, what do you think now? How's this? So I had not only, I was not only standing between <laughs> Louise Mench and Rick Wilson, I had uh, my editor's email texting me, and then I had my fucking dad texting me, going, <laughs> "What do you think now? What do you think now?" And out of all of them, I'm sitting there like trying to mute my father because I was too busy working on the. Okay, uh, wh- where do we go now? And I told this story as as I was flown out to Utah. I didn't actually vote in the 2016 election. Because the day of, it was two days before, the Heat Street editors said, we want to fly you out to Utah to cover McMullen. And I was like, okay. And so I get out there, and I'm hanging with Louise Manch. I'm hanging with Rick Wilson. I'm Josh Rogan from the Washington Post, who's an actual journalist that I like. He's one of the few good ones. When it became evident that Trump was going to win Wisconsin, there was a media room for McMullen and they all packed up their shit and left. Like it, it was like cockroaches turning the lights on. Um, uh, Diabolism and comments. I have lots of stories about Rick Wilson. I'll go into another time. And so here I have Louise Mench melting down. I have Rick Wilson going, fuck it. We're going to just double. (laughs) And then I have my dad going, what do you think now? Huh? What do you think now? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it, it was one of those things where it was kind of like, I, I, I still think I was right. I still think I'm right in the sense of uh, Trump's long-term damage to the Republican Party. But it was kind of uh, 
my pops here along with other people where I'm like, maybe we should be listening to what these guys are saying or at least thinking because I was someone where I was 100% convinced, like Trump's not going to win the nomination. This is crazy. This is Looney Tunes. Um, and it wasn't so much what he was saying. It kind of goes back to what Roller Gator was saying in the sense of 95% of what he's saying is fucking crazy, but he brings in 5% of people who say he makes sense and that's what it is. Now, to counter that, I would say people who are now against him, he's still the same guy. He's the guy he's always been. So why? So I guess I would ask Pops here, why would you not be against him six years ago as opposed to now when you could have had somebody like Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Marco Rubio or whatever? Well, the biggest reason is he's an outsider. He was, he was, and uh, and and I know people kind of laugh when they hear that term, but he, he was not a lifelong, lifetime tenured member of the Washington political establishment. Was he a political creature? Sure, he was. He had to be to succeed in business in in New York City. I mean, I mean you but know the fact that is, like he wasn't Oprah part Winfrey of it. was telling him to run for president in 1987. Well, you know, timing is everything, I guess. But but I just felt that it was time for a change. And and uh, Hillary Clinton, ever since uh, Billy was the uh, was the governor of Arkansas, Hillary was on the periphery of of politics. And and I, I just I, I said, and, I, and apparently a lot of people said it's it's time to get an outsider in there. Well, the uh, the uh, uh, political establishment said, well, okay, but we're never going to let that happen again. And I think that's been the, the basic reason for the last two years of all the attacks on Trump. They're, just, they're afraid of him, and they want to make damn sure that, that he'll, he will never get back to the presidency. But, you know, there's a very telling picture. When he was at a NATO meeting in, in uh, Europe, there's the picture of him sitting at the table Looking up, he's got his arms crossed, and here's Angela yeah. Merkel from from Germany, and a half a dozen other European leaders all chewing on the on the front of his face. Why? Because he said it's time for you guys to pay your fair share of your own defense. Well, and, and the thing that, and the thing that comes up from this is that Angela Merkel is now more responsible for empowering Putin's, you know, gas sure. deal, which is what's empowered him to invade Ukraine. And the most interesting, and this, and this is what brings people like me, who I'm not a Trump defender, but we look at the circumstances of the world and we say, okay, you called Angela Merkel the, the actual voice of the free world. And Angela Merkel did more to empower Vladimir Putin through gas energy and deals yep. through Europe, which empowered him to actually invade Ukraine. And now you were looking at this like, oh, oops, there's there there is the speech with Trump at the U.N. about Germany and energy. And I do think that that was probably the, the best thing he's ever been right on in his presidency. If you, if you go back and you watch that speech about the the uh, the EU and and Germany, even people who fucking hate this guy have to look at this and go, well, he, he got that one right. So I, I do understand all of that. But it does kind of look like Trump is he's either been gone for too many years or he doesn't understand where the debate is now. Um, so I, I do want to, so stay there. 
It's a dumb move. We're going to take the last two callers. You're going to be a (laughs) co-speaker. And I know I'm opening myself up to a lot of bullshit here, but we're going to do it. Jacqueline, go ahead and unmute. So Jacqueline's been a longtime follower slash caller on here. Um, Jacqueline, I'm not paying attention to the playoffs tonight. Did your lightning lose? Are we done with this? No, they Lightning actually won. won uh, they won last night, so <laughs> of we course they did. To ga- we go to game six tomorrow night, and it's going to be in Tampa, so we'll see what happens. But um, it's the Leafs, so you you know you never know. It could it could turn out our way. We can win in game seven. Um, but I was just going to say that uh, Doctor Roller Gator. The information, I know it was kind of long, but it was actually very interesting. Him, like, as a doctor, being able to explain things. Th- that's why I didn't In layman's him. terms. Yeah. That's why, I let, that's why I let him just rant for 30 minutes. Cause he's... Yeah, and so, like, I thought that was really interesting for him to talk about all of that. And then um, the other thing I was going to say is that um, obviously, you know, I live in Florida, so Ronnie D is my guy. Um, and so what's all happening right now in the media about how Disney is going to move is just completely hilarious because they're not going to spend a trillion dollars moving a theme park and like 10 hotels. Yeah, they can. To a different state. I would yeah, argue and this, then, was, this was the worst part of Haley's answer. If if Nikki Haley wants to say, look, I'm not all in on this attack on corporatism because they're using their free speech rights. Mind you, I'm, I don't agree with that's what it is. I'm just simply stating if I was Haley's advisor, this is how you go. But the fact that she said, move your shit to South Carolina that was going full Keith Olbermann. And I think that that's the thing that actually lost people. It was like, you're not, Disney's not moving. And I think this is what they don't understand that DeSantis does. Disney has nowhere to fucking go. You're not going to just pack up this shit and leave. And if you do, it's going to take 26 years. And the fact that you have Keith Olbermann ranting into his iPhone over it. Now you have Nikki Haley echoing that attack. I think, I, I generally do. Like I said, I would vote for her. If she was a nominee, I'd have no problem with it. I do think her campaign ended with that. And and I completely agree because I have always liked Nikki Haley. And I know you talked about the um, Confederate flag controversy, but I like... That didn't destroy her campaign. What destroyed her campaign was what she said two days ago about Disney moving to South Carolina, which didn't need to happen. It was just an own goal on her fault, and it just wasn't needed. Like, she could... I I know she's trying to run, like, for someone in Trump's administration, but it was obvious she wasn't running for president and it was just kind of ridiculous to me when I heard that audio and I, I don't understand who advised her to do. 
Uh, Pops, Nikki Haley, yes or no? Go. Uh, I think I think she has potential as a as a uh, possible running mate. Uh, I don't think top of the ticket. I think second spot on the ticket. Uh, regardless of whether it's Trump or DeSantis, uh, and I think that's going to have to happen, whether it's her or another woman, uh, because Kamala Harris is is either going to be uh, is going to be in the number two spot if if Biden stays well enough to be upright and run. Otherwise, I think she'll be elevated to the number one spot, and and I don't think you want to have an all male Republican ticket running against a. Uh, at least half, if not both, uh, ends of the Democrat ticket being Republican, or being woman, rather. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I do. I was not convinced. And Jackie, thank you. It's good to see you. And thanks for speaking. I'm not convinced that Haley was actually setting out to run for VP. Um, I do think that I do. I do s- suspect. And I'm the guy who flowed the conspiracy theory that Kamala Harris would be sworn in in 2026. Yep. I do suspect that there is a strategy here that if Trump is the inevitable 2024 nominee and should he win, his VP would then, of course, be the 2028 nominee. And that it might be Haley's thinking in the sense of if I can be Trump's VP, I'll be president in 2028. That, of course, all hinges on Trump leaving office in 2028. And as we've yeah. seen, that's not guaranteed. Nope. <laughs> we, we, have, we have zero evidence that he would actually do that because he will then claim his entire first term is Russia. And he will then claim he needs another third term. So we'll see. Uh, Bruce, you're our last caller. I'm going to keep uh, Pops up here for the co-speakership and we'll see how this goes. But Bruce, thank you uh, for joining. Um, God, we've done this now for, we're going on three hours. I said we would do this, but Jackie, thank you. Uh, Bruce, you're our last caller. Bring us home. Make us interesting. Go ahead. Unmute. There we go. Hey, there you are. You're good. Thanks for taking my call. I am so sorry. I have not been able to call in to so many recent episodes uh, you know, I have a family and, uh, you know, so sometimes it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. Uh, it really so sucks I, that I you have know. a family and you can't like enjoy a couple of minutes with us. <laughs> what the hell? So, um, lots of disclosure tonight. I am, uh, I'm not intoxicated. I'm definitely buzzed. Uh, found a dive bar in Oregon, Illinois that serves stone IPA. Okay. What, what bar, a, what bar I, in Oregon? It is called the Tipsy Hog. Um, so that's not so, in Portland. No, no, no. Oregon, Illinois. We are. Oh, you, no, you're right. You said Illinois. So yeah. So yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no fucking state that has more towns named after cities than Illinois. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, a high school friend of mine, his wife is in an all-female cover band. They performed that. It was amazing. Like absolutely. Wait, hold on. Right? An all-female uh, what cover band? Just an all-female cover band. They like basically play all the hits oh. from the uh, you know eighties, nineties. Okay, so it's not like a time. cover band of a particular band. It's just we cover. No, no, no. Though no, they just they see you, Wendy. Thank you so much. You were awesome tonight. Um, yeah. So band members are leaving, so I'm just uh, greeting them. Um, anyway, yeah, I went to high school with some of them. Uh, it was just really a great show. Had a great time. Um, 
the, so a couple things. I'm. I. It is awesome that your dad is on because uh, I am a dad. Not really. And uh, what? <laughs> not awesome that your dad is on. No, I think it is awesome. Uh, I, I actually <laughs> was hanging out with my dad all day today, helping him on some projects. Uh, my dad is seventy three. Uh, you know, not sure how much longer I'm going to have with him. So you know, let's every, not go there. Thanks. <laughs> every, every minute is precious, so I'm gonna just gonna say it out loud. All right. So Steve's um, Steve's dad is 77. Oh wow! wow. I told that, you not to go that's there. Awesome. <laughs> um. So so anyway, that's why I'm I'm up uh, not at home. Uh, so that's why I'm actually available to call in tonight. Um. I, but but I wanted to mention a moment. I I don't think I've shared this on call in. But about like, um, so I, I did vote for Trump in uh, 2016, and uh, it was a thing where, um, you know, it basically I made the call and my wife with me, we made the call election day morning that we were going to vote for Trump. And I did not want to do that. I did not vote for him in the primary, uh, you know, was very concerned about where, the, where his presidency would go and all that. But uh, that morning I woke up, I said, I will not be a part of anything that put Hillary Clinton in the White House. Yep. Uh, and just would not do it. And the vindication was uh, Wednesday morning, my my son, who was in second grade at the time, uh, he's 14 now, but he was in second grade at the time, he came running in, you know, Wednesday morning, said, Dad, 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 who won the election? Who won the election? And he was super excited that Donald Trump won. Apparently, this was a thing that was he was talking about at his lunch table at school. I'm like, really? In second grade, you guys are talking about the presidential election? But it was his elation over Hillary not winning that just like, oh, yeah, I guess I did the right thing. I guess I did the right thing. And then uh, we've talked on a previous call in about my my like, hey, you know, would you do this over for the, the three, three Supreme Supreme Court justices? And I absolutely would. I, I absolutely think that setback liberal agenda by by 20 or 30 years. And while there is while there is a price to pay and we have paid it and we will pay it again, probably in 2024, maybe even with another presidential loss, it, it was worth it. It was so worth it uh, for for the uh, alignment of the Supreme Court. So I will stand by that. I, I stand by that today. But really what I wanted to talk about tonight is um, I'm just going to like just go out on a long, long, thin limb here, um, if, if I may, if there's still attention. Of the, Not, you know, you're good. Colors. We still have six minutes until it's like 9-11 on the, okay. on the right. West so, Coast. So Never. I, I just went, went through a book, read a book. I, I do it in my audible because I don't have time to actually read, but it was called The Ice Sick Surgeon by Sam Keane. So I, I found this author because he uh, wrote a book called um, The Bastard Brigade. So it was about the, um, the efforts of the U.S. government and various agencies and things like that to sabotage uh, the efforts of our enemies to acquire and develop a nuclear weapon in World War II before we did. Um, and it was an awesome read, of, uh, you know, about Mo Bird and, and all the stuff that was going on and a great book. Anyway, another book that he wrote was called The Ice Pick Surgeon. And it is a book about um, like the ethics of science and bad stuff that happens when you try to do like good things in the name of science. And uh, 
I bring this up because it's like science, um, yeah. Exactly. So there was some, you know, random Twitter user six six four eight three nine two seven, right? That like me, you know, I have like you know forty followers and I follow and people or whatever. Just some random dude on Twitter like me that said, "Hey, this transgender thing is like the 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 new lobotomy, right?" where there was a time when we just gave lobotomies to anyone, just like they were having mental disorders. We give, give them a lobotomy, just do it. Just, just, you know, dig in there with an ice pick under their, under their eyeball and oh, that's swish it around and, and give them a lobotomy and they'll, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. They'll, you know, they won't have these mental disorders anymore and all that. And, and then, you know, a few years, a few years later, we're like, wow, that was maybe not such a good idea to do that. Right. And there's a whole chapter in this book called The Ice Pictures that deals with, at the time, in the 70s, it was called the transsexual uh, thing where, you know, like, oh, we need to, uh, you know, alter the anatomy of people that are confused about who they are and things like that. So some some random Twitter user out there said, hey, this, this like, uh, you know, bodily modification surgery is the new lobotomy. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what was mentioned in this book. And I kind of I, I kind of I, I think that maybe what we're looking at, right, is that like a few years from now, we're going to look at this and say, was it really a good idea to genetically or not not genetically, but anatomically alter minors who were confused about their gender identity at some point in their youth I, and and I, I I absolutely think that's that's what's going to happen is that we are going to be at a point where we're like this was probably not such a good idea and if Sam Keen wrote that book you know in 10 years from now maybe that would be a chapter in his book so your thoughts on that or anyone, you know, whatever. Uh, Pops do you want to take this one first or me <laughs> you go ahead. <laughs> um, I I do not compare. I've seen this argument, and I don't completely. I I guess I would say that I disagree with. I disagree that we're going to look back on it because we already have abortion, which would be, to me, um, trans surgeries are the same. Now, here's what I'm going to say. The, the trans debate, this thing is, I want to frame this in the way of popular culture, which is this has never been a debate until they brought the kids into it. This is, this is literally when this became a debate. Oh, okay. I totally agree. And, this, and it's the same thing with, with like drag shows, right? It, it, it was only, right. it only became an issue when you introduce children into the mix. Correct. Right? Yeah, I, correct. I no now, issue. if you if you are if you are an adult and and you want to undergo you know gender alteration, have at it. I I have no. Now that. You, you're you right in the sense call. of, and I think this is something that like any adults, like someone like this. I think the scientist should have to answer this: Are you against transition transition surgeries for adults? I think that that's something that Republican politicians should have to say. No. If you're an adult, go have at it. Go pay for it. Of course, where this debate is headed is taxpayer funding 
for what they call is gender affirming care. That's where this debate is headed. And that's why they've reframed it that way, because they are going to shape it that way. Now, you're right in the sense of drag shows. Now, here's what I'm going to say. I do I do trend closer to David French's definition of free speech with drag shows than most other conservatives. Um, no, I do not think, like, I guess my first thing as I would say is, when did drag queens become the only ubiquitous thing that we invite into preschools? Like, when I was in school, we, we brought in yo-yo teams. <laughs> like, we brought in a puppet show. We brought in, like, um, ventriloquists and shit. And so this to me is like the weird, this, this, this trend has been the weirdest thing in the world to me. Like, when did it become the most ubiquitous thing that we have to bring in drag queens into schools? Um, Full disclosure. I am a public private person, meaning, no, we do not need sexualized drag queen shows in public schools. Now, that said, if you live in a state where it's Seattle, Portland, New York, or whatever, and they host a drag queen brunch. And if you are a liberalized parent who wants to take your three-year-old into a restaurant for a brunch with overpriced mimosas and avocado toast, where a drag queen is going to show their tucking sensation with their legs spread, it's a private business. I don't care. That's what they do. Now, and that's where that's where I get off the train of I do think that there is a strain in conservative and libertarian politics where they are literally they are trying to legislate private business. Now, where I will also play devil's advocate, I will say that there are indecency laws. We do not allow kids to go into strip shows. Now, Saying that, now, if we're going on to another level of nuance, do I think that a sexualized drag show is the same as a strip club or a lap dance? No, I do not. But if a state wants to pass that law, if people of the state elect a legislature, then elects a governor, and then they elect the law that says we are no longer going to allow sexualized drag shows in in person or in the company of minors, then that's the law. That's what, that's what to me, federalism is. That's what state law is. You don't have to like it. You don't have to go along with it. And I suspect like Mississippi doesn't give a shit what Tuck Chad says on MSNBC. Um, but that's, that's kind of how I look at it. I do. I have never had a problem with drag. This is an interesting debate, in but this is also a debate that has been forced upon culture. This is why I defer to my seventy-seven-year-old father, Dad. What do you think about drag queens? Uh, I I agree with you. If 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 uh, you have to be twenty-one to drink alcohol, and and uh, the voting age is what it is, I think putting on drag shows in front of third graders is is enormously harmful and 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 i have to question the true motives of the people who are promoting that kind of uh movement no pun intended 
Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I, I just think that, yeah, if you, if you're like, I was at, uh, um, ballpark village, I live outside of St. Louis as, as I've said before and ballpark village, great place to go before a ball game, whatever they host drag show brunches. I'm like, yeah, whatever. That's fine. If you want to do that. And if, if parents want to bring their kids to that, I, I don't care. I just, I, and I'm not, I'm not familiar with this scene of bringing drag queens into uh library. I haven't seen that where I've lived and I've intentionally lived in parts of the country where that isn't necessarily a thing, but yeah, I, I, I think, you know, Hey, taxpayer funded, whether it's local or federal, I, I or, you know, whatever. I, I, I don't think it's a good idea. We, we don't, we don't take kids to trip shows you know, that's strictly forbidden. We don't show pornography on Saturday morning cartoons. You know, we, we, we don't do those things because there's just general understanding that that's, that's just not a good idea, right. To expose young children to, to things like that. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it, I think it's easy to be consistent on this issue. We, and what I mean is I think it's easy to be, we're not giving taxpayer money to this. But if you are a private business, hey, have at it. Yep. But then again, and, and I'm not one of these guys where it's like for private decency laws. Um, it, it, if you came down to taking kids to, say, a strip club, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm a kind of libertarian guy where I'm like, I don't, I don't think that that's really going to hurt yeah. them. I think but whatever, eighteen or twenty-one. Um, I, I am pretty much is. a public-private guy, which is if a restaurant wants to host this and they have a and they have a private business license, do it. And if you are a conservative parent, don't take your don't take yeah, your kid. To, yeah, this is I agree. I this is agree. kind of this is kind of where I get off the boat with libs of TikTok. I think libs of TikTok does a lot of good work exposing institutions. So if you have Boston Hospital saying, hey, we encourage and even offer permanent transition therapy, which includes puberty blockers and, and surgery, I'm kind of one of those guys that goes, I, I don't think you should be doing that to 13-year-olds. Yep. And then when you have, like, lives of TikTok attacking some random account of a person who works at a restaurant who does these things, that's where I get off the boat. I just kind of like, I'm done with this. I'm not with you on this. To get back to your original point, and as we, and as we kind of wrap this up, um, I, I genuinely think that there is a fine line between what is acceptable between private and public, and my worst fear if if I want to give it to you, and my pop said it with DeSantis, is that we're going into the territory of a moral panic because the political left is already in a full-blown moral panic. And, we sh- and to me, we should let them do that. So if you have someone like DeSantis and you have the political right, if you're going to go into the area of policing private business and no i don't think disney is that by the way for anyone who wants to contradict me on that i'm talking about like um the the bar and grill who wants to have a drag queen at their place on a sunday i'm not talking about disney who's like placing dildos in the little mermaid movie what i'm saying is that this is my worry is that 
what I think DeSantis taking on Disney is fine. I don't give, I don't care. I think that this is offensive conservatism. Not offensive as in it's offensive, it's offense. It's, it's offense. We're, okay. we're, we're, we're taking the you're fight gonna, to them. We passed a law. You're now going to use your multi million dollar lobbying conglomerate arm to come out against us. Well, fuck you. We're going to take away your tax status. Now, what do you say? To yep. me, that's fair game. This isn't the dude in Colorado with the bakery, okay? And that's what, to me, like French and other people on the right and Haley are trying to portray it as. That's not what Disney is. That's not who they are. Right. Again, I get where I, get where I do think this, where I do think DeSantis and the political right and Rufo and people like Matt Walsh, where I do think they run the risk of error. Is making like trans people out to all have an agenda, and they don't. We we've lived with trans people forever. I worked with one of them uh, side by side at a hotel for years. Basically, if you play a transgender person in a movie, you're gonna get an Oscar. Okay, this this is not a thing that is suddenly landed. Yeah, but there is this sudden idea based on what we saw in Montana and based on what we saw in Nashville, that if you don't accept this, then we're going to fucking kill you. And I think that that's where we're at. And it's a sense of, no, look, we're going to accept biology and we're going to accept biological males and females. And this whole thing with biological sports, look, I could be on board with it, if there might be some trans males getting into the NHL or like a trans male becoming the Dallas Cowboys kicker, I could get on board with this, but we're not. It's going in one direction. It's the erasure of female sports. It's the erasure of women's accomplishments. And like I said, I'm not going to sway this debate. Neither is um, my 75-year-old father. We're not going to be the ones to sway this debate. The, the people who are... I was giving you credit. The people who are going to sway this debate <laughs> are going to be the feminists. They're going to be... It's literally the feminist women on the left going, we're, we're not tolerating this shit anymore. And so... <laughs> thanks, Bo. So, yeah, I, I look at it and I say... I'm on board with the cultural war because I'm a, I'm an Andrew Breitbart conservative. I think that this is where it all starts. The risk that I think DeSantis runs is just like making all trans people out to be outlaws or whatever. I don't think that they're there. I don't think that that's what this is about. And th- this is more about, again, the professional participation of trans individuals. And so I guess that that's how I... Uh, that's how I look at it. And Bruce, I'll give you. Well, I, I wanted to go back to uh, full disclosure. One of the things that I had as assembly in elementary school was the precision lawn, te- lawn chair drill team. <laughs> right. So, yeah, totally harmless type stuff. Um, Wait, yeah, hold on I, here. Two I, people I, I, are laughing. What is this? What is the lawn chair thing? Because this clearly is a boomer thing. So have you like they use lawn chairs like they're rifles and they're it's like a drill team and they do inspections okay, did, and did pops did you do this you laughed no I no I didn't but I think they were even in the Rose Bowl parade a couple of times yeah so yep. yeah it, it's just it was one of those things that's like just totally harmless and funny and 
you know, that's like, oh my gosh, I'm so old because <laughs> I, I've actually experienced this. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm totally with you, Stephen. I, I have a, I have a personal opinion, bias, whatever, just based on my Christian faith and things like that about, uh, you know, about homosexuality, about transgender and all that. But I also recognize that, you know, there, you know, what I think and, and what I feel morally is totally irrelevant when it comes to our constitution and our laws and things like that. And, and I just, I, you know, you, you, you brought up David French and I, I, again, I, I just wonder if David French were a democratic operative, what in the world would he be doing differently than he is now? And I, and I think that answer is nothing. I, I am so frustrated with him. I, I agree with his, like, I, I probably would align with him very closely on a great number of things, but, but what in the world is he doing differently? And, and also, uh, you mentioned a couple of things that, like, um, you know, Jonah Goldberg has said in the past about, like, you know, I'm, I would say, you know, let your freak flag fly, except for the children and, and, and things like that. And, and, and I think that's where this really, that's where this really has, has, you know, ground into where, yeah, we are in a cultural war is that, you, you know, you ask the average Republican voter, whatever, do you care if somebody who's, you know, 18 and wants to have their breasts cut off or, or, you know, their penis cut off or whatever, and, you know, fine, you know, you, you're an adult, you, you go ahead and make that call. You can join the military, you can go die for your country, you can vote, you can do all these things. If, if, if those are the things you want to do, go for it. Uh, you know, I'm not going to stop you. I, I, I think it's a bad idea, but you, you do you. And, and, you know, like, like many other things, but it's, but it's where this is like being forced on children, like that, that children are being indoctrinated. We're using these, these, you know, words, whatever, um, indoctrination. I, I just think it's, it's just a bad idea. We, we have kept children away from the sexualization for so long and suddenly it is in their face and, and it is being kept in secret. There were there were uh, stuff on Twitter today about schools in California where teachers weren't allowed to to reveal to parents certain things. I did like no, these are these children are beholden to their parents first and foremost, and then everything else is secondary. Whether it's school or or society or whatever, that's all secondary to to parental authority. And when you start screwing with that, and that's where this all is, it's just like, no, all bets are off. You know, F off. I, I raise my kids the way I want to raise my kids. And if I want to take my kid to a drag show, that's my decision. That's fine. I'm not going to stop that. You take your kid to a drag show at a private business. I think it's a bad idea. But again, I, 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 you know, I'm going to let you be the parent in that, in that situation. So anyway, that's my last word. Uh, Pops, I'll give you the last word before I get the last word. So go ahead. This is this is the first time in my entire life that I get the last word before him. By the way, so <laughs> might as well make the most of it. <laughs> well, I, I thank you for inviting me to to uh, sit in tonight. It, it's enjoyable. Uh, I, I uh, respect uh, not only, of course, your opinion, but those of your uh, other callers and and all that. And it's great to get different viewpoints. At 77 years old, I'm not uh, active and out and about in the public as much as I used to be. So 
uh, it's easy to get uh, get a little uh, tunnel vision, uh, and and this has been enjoyable. I appreciate it. Thank you. And and now I get to do something that I've I, I've always <laughs> wanted to do in my entire life. I get to remove him from speakership. He's gone, and he can't see. He can't do anything about it. Um, going back to what Bruce said, um, yeah, I just, I literally just booted my father off of the chat. It felt good. Not going to lie. Um, going back to what, like we've always said, I think we are at a moment where conservatives have finally learned to lean into a culture war. I think Trump helped that. And I think we're at a point to where we're moving beyond that. And I I guess I look at previous conservative commentators, whether it's David or Jonah Goldberg or David Frommer or National View. um, This is how we got here. We got here because you guys refused to engage in these issues. One one of the things I always said growing up, maybe I shouldn't have booted my, my pops because he was there for it. But you had Ronald Reagan, and he he dominated the country for eight years, and then we had George H. W. Bush for twelve. And during that time, you had the political left said, "Fine, we're going to take Hollywood, we're going to take academia, we're going to take media. This is what we're going to do." And it happened, and here we are. You're seeing the very long game. And so, um, I don't know what the next two to three years hold, but I, I think I understand where the fight is and where it should be. Um, this has been episode 100. Yeah, I did. I, I literally, <laughs> I literally kicked my dad off of the, uh, off of the chat because this is my microphone and I can do those things. Um, it's been episode 100, 100th VML episode clown car spectacular. Um, again, thank you guys. Thank you guys for being here for a full year for listening. Yeah, we did it, Bo. I did we I think we went beyond Titanic, and I'm not shit faced. I this has been a hundred percent paying attention episode. Um so again, thank you guys uh for being part of this. I know Colin is a weird format. It's not a podcast. I know some of you are shy, I know some of you just want to listen, I know some of you don't like this. Um, but it's been weird and I, and I like weird. If I didn't like weird, I wouldn't have brought my fucking dad up to like come here and talk and, and like spank me over your lap. So again, thank you guys. Um, here's hoping there's maybe another hundred episodes. Maybe we'll see, maybe there won't. We'll see. Um, if not, I will see you guys back on Substack on Tuesday. So again, thank you to my callers. Thank you to you guys for keeping this uh, show up to the top one or two or three for calling. And uh, again, I'll just throw it out there. Thanks to Pops for humoring me and participating me. Um, He's one of the biggest reasons that I'm here today doing what I'm doing for you all. And that's it. Good night. Thank you all. Cheers. 100 episodes. See you tomorrow.